Hello, today I'm talking to Ivan Balabanov, another guest that you probably will have heard of, very uh, famous dog trainer. Ivan is a two-time IGP world champion. He's also become very well-known recently for his Training Without Conflict podcast, which I was a guest on um, and I enjoyed very much. Me and Ivan have been speaking a lot since then, so I thought it would be the perfect opportunity to have Ivan on as a guest for the 100th episode, 100th episode of this podcast. And it's a great discussion and I hope you enjoy it. But before we get started, we've got a new sponsor for the podcast, N2N Canine Mills. They make carpet mills, uh, slap mills, which are essentially treadmills for your dog if you don't know what they are. And they are really a fantastic tool for both tiring your dog out, but also for canine fitness. I think more and more, especially people in the sports world, but just generally people with working dogs are becoming aware of the importance of fitness for dogs. It's something that actually I've become quite passionate about over the last few months, which led me to end to end who make fantastic carpet mills, fantastic sled, uh, slap mills, sorry. And I'm really into the carpet mills, especially because what carpet mills are good for is that they add a little bit of resistance, which helps to build some muscle tone and also helps to tire the dogs out quicker. So if you are interested in having a look at the carpet mills and the slap mills that they offer, you can find them by searching for N2N. So that's the letter N, the number two, and then the letter N again, and then caninemills.com. And canine is spelt like the word, not canine. So it's N2N canine mills.com and of course if you do end up going to order then make sure you use our code which is nb10 all right super let's get started hey ivan welcome to the show nick it's pleasure thank you for having me um you i i like that you got busy again uh you did quite a few podcasts recently so uh, I, I like it personally. You know, you took a long break, but it seems like you're on a roll and you're enjoying and you're having and you're having interesting guests. I think, um, yeah, kind of yeah. opening up the the spectrum of of guests, which I think, again, I appreciate very much because it's about it's about time that we all get to hear each other even when we don't agree. Yeah, you've definitely inspired me. I think doing that podcast with you, Ivan, probably was the catalyst in a lot of ways for starting again. Um, I, I I always enjoy podcasting. I guess when I was doing the podcast back in the day, maybe I, I got a little fed up of like, and, and, I, and I made this situation myself, so I, I only have myself to blame, but like I, I would go really heavy into like theory, discussions and then at a certain point i think i just it felt like we were going too heavy on the theory side and there wasn't enough practical you know and there wasn't and also sometimes you're arguing over things that just don't really matter mm -hmm. um, and, and, it, and it wasn't just the podcast it was actually probably the way that i was handling social media because i was on these facebook groups and i was getting involved in conversations that were just so 
like meta, you know, like so silly, like, uh, you know, is it a cue or a marker or is it keep going signal? You know, and it's just like, it just got a little silly. Yeah, most likely had to do something with, with all around interaction because I, I wasn't getting that sense in, in the podcast. And it's a, it's a crazy thing about science because um, science, of course, doesn't say anything. That, that's one thing. Science always changes. And there is many different branches of science. So depending which scientists you're asking, they're looking through a certain lens at certain things and they are trying to guide in that direction. So I, I am big on science. I, I love it. One thing that I think you kind of made me aware of as we started speaking more, and I guess I've become more conscious of because I'm getting more involved in sports training is there is trying to discern between people that like talk a good talk versus people that are actually doing it for real. And I think that's like heavily affected my guest selection coming back, um, trying to speak more to people that you can actually see are you know, getting results because it's, it's quite difficult. I feel like there are a lot of people on social media that are really good talkers, but actually don't really seem to back anything up. And I, I'm just trying to discern between those two groups. Yeah, that's, um, we can talk a lot about that, but that's, um, that's the reality where we are. Um, it is super unfortunate that this is not martial arts. Yeah, you but know, it happens in the martial arts world, doesn't it, Ivan? With you get all, really, you get the, what they call the muk dojos, you know, where you get these funny, right. vi funny videos of people just oh, doing exactly. the most ridiculous stuff. <laughs> exactly, but that's my point. And then they get exposed. They they get exposed in one of two ways. They either really start believing their shit and they think they're somebody, and they get just slapped on the face and, and realized that it's a, there's a lot more to do or somebody goes in one way or another um there in martial arts it's much much simpler uh, um, to expose and i had um recently i i did a presentation at the iicp the conference that is the balance trainers and it was about learning environment, creating the learning environment in kind of part of my lectures from my curriculum. And the reason I'm bringing this up is funny because I, I pretty much started the lecture with a slide of a white belt, blue belt, and a black belt without anything, just the belts on a table. And, and it's a very interesting conversation when you talk, when you have dog trainers and let's call them they are barely a blue belt level in dog training but they have a white belt in front of them and they are they, they are like grandmasters i mean that's how they present themselves and the moment the black belt walks in it takes less than 30 seconds to be able to call them out the difficulty in our where what we do in dog training industry, I think, is that um, people don't know how to how to navigate, who to listen to, who to trust, what 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 is real, what is not. Um, there is all information is out there, really all information is out there. But to for somebody 
for a white belt to navigate or for blue belt for that matter or for you know uh, your average trainer that wants to expand knowledge it's very easy to get lost and at the same time that they're you know the saying success leaves clues yeah right and sure there are many ways to run some are super long and very questionable if they ever gonna reach wrong and then there is different ways and then as a trainer you have to be able to to pick somebody that you you know that you have traveled the road that you have walked the walk um i i tell you something i'll be i'll be thinking about this um like especially in in today's environment you know how 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 things go um like we have it's a it's a very interesting way of of looking at, at how who to listen to who you want to be um and it's not just dog training but but if we stick to dog training with today's like how we have social media everybody including myself we are hooked it's kind of like a, a in that level of a consumer like you just consume you just you're you're like you're on your phone and you're on tiktok you're on insta you're just one after another after another after another and 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 that's all you do and it's very like a lot of people i think are getting just stuck on that almost horrible level to where they they're just like a like a passive kind of person that just doesn't doesn't do anything there is no like you know they will never even if there are moments of conversations of, oh, I'm going to do something, you know they're stuck there. Then there is another level. Still, It's still a consumer kind of level, but it's a, it's a more of a selection. Now, now this kind of people, they, they choose what to watch. They're more particular of, okay, I'm not going to just watch anything that any feeds that the algorithm gives me. I, I'm selecting what I want to watch. And so that's a, you know, it's a good, definitely good kind of advancement, but you're still a consumer. And then where, where I'm going, that this gets kind of interesting, I think, and hopefully for everybody, um, then there is an, a, a next level and we would call those uh, curators. Curation basically is kind of where you organize everybody's ideas, like you, you're, imitating you, you know what's up and you're just it's not a bad place in in a lot of ways depending who you are because you kind of need these people and when you think about like uh, uh, as i break it down like this hopefully uh people can make sense and and the reason i'm talking about this is because just to give some hopefully offer some help for trainers that are trying to find themselves and, and also be able to kind of decide who is who and, and how to save time and learn more efficiently from the people they want to learn from instead of being lost, because being lost is very easy right now. So the, the curators, you know, um, again, it's not a bad thing because it can save you time. They're going through everything on the internet. They're kind of almost 
putting it in categories and, and they can give you good ideas. There is like, even in a big podcast, like Tim Ferriss or whatever, they, there is like a big name, super big podcasts that are very, very good because you don't waste time and you can learn something. Um, but there is the, like the, the lowest level of this, like that curation level, if you want to talk, the, the, like the lowest, lowest one of those are the, they, they really just share. So I like something, I see something that is worth it and I just share it on my social media. And, and that's all they do. The next level from that is when that person now begins to add their own opinion on, on the topic, right? It's not just, okay, here, I'm just sharing. Now it's like I'm sharing, but I'm giving you now my point. It, it, do I really like it? Can it be better? And so on and so on. So that's a, you know, it's a, an, again, an upgrade. And then you really have the one that it's a, um, more with a, with an insight. So, so they, it, it's a, what, what they would call it, it's obvious content, content, right? That's the word. So it's something that everybody knows, but it's very linear. It's like, okay, you want to learn focus attention. So we do this thing and okay, this is how you do. You want to learn loose leash walking. It's basically like from A to B and they will tell you how to do it, but it's obvious content. It's something that hundreds of other people on YouTube or TikTok are telling you. Like we can watch so many puppy videos. It doesn't matter if it's somebody that we've never heard of or if it's a world champion, they're doing exactly the same thing with the lure walking with the puppy. And, and that is uh, uh, basically what I call obvious content to where um, they're very good for likes. And like, if you want to grow as a, because you have to now, I guess in today's age, we also have to understand, do we want to market ourselves and really go after likes and following? Or you can grow as a trainer and test your training and, and really, which is a whole different path. So the, like being in this, like as a curator, providing obvious content, this is super cool to, when you, when you want to, as a trainer to get the likes and get the following, because all you need to do really is uh, um, ugh, like like just give some blinding glimpses of the obvious, you know, like like well, uh, luring works very good, or who is who doesn't like positive reinforcement, or you know, like just something super obvious. But in the environment we're in, as you're scrolling and you read that. You just hit like very quickly and you go to the next thing because it's an obvious content that you you agree with. And next thing you know, you you got over 2,000 likes on, on something ridiculously silly. And next thing you know, you become authority, which becomes very dangerous. But when you, as a new trainer, when you when you get to these people that have a lot of followers, 
a lot of likes, producing a lot of content. And typically this, we know how they're, they're very short clips because that's what the algorithm likes. They have a very catchy cover and you go in and then you're like, shit, they got me again. But yes, they did. And, you know, the, the, of course, their, their numbers growing and growing and growing. Um, and then they end up being somewhat an authority while they're a black belt, a blue belt at best. And so you have two, two different types of, of trainers that work uh, with obvious content. There is ones that really try to help and really kind of help you categorize and not waste time and kind of, hey, this is something worth it, this is whatever. And then once somebody starts to put their take on it, it's very difficult for somebody that doesn't know to, to recognize that that's, um, that content is not of value. Sometimes it's difficult as well. I don't know if, I'm sure this has happened to you, Ivan, when someone shares your content, but then puts a comment on it and it feels like there's not much, it's, it's not a conversation. It was very like one-sided, you know, maybe someone says, you know, hey, Ivan could have done this better or something like that. And, and there's no real opportunity for you to rebuttal that or like be like, hey, no, I didn't do it that way because of this or, or whatever. Sometimes when I read people make comments on my content like that, it can be frustrating because it's, it's like, no, you're missing something, you, you know, but it's posted, Very much. it's posted as a statement, you know, it's, it's not really a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's another, another interesting uh, um, piece so, of, of the whole interaction, you know, of, of social media. You're talking a lot about content creation here, Ivan. The obvious question is, where, where does Dog Daddy fit into all of that? <laughs> I know we're going to get there. This, this actually really fits in where we're going. I, okay. I, I know we will talk about it. And um, yeah, guys, hang, hang on. How could we not, right? <laughs> um, but going back to, because again, this, this will matter. This will really matter because it will help you place people in different categories. So when you have an obvious content, somebody that just say, okay, this is how you teach healing. This is how you teach eye contact. This is um, what you do with leisure activity. And it's all the same. It's just some slight variation of, of something that's originated millions of times everywhere on the internet. So there is no you you as uh as you are watching it you're not gaining any new any unique uh um there's no benefits it's kind of like really almost wasting time there because of that obviousness it's kind of like regurgitated information right like someone is right. sharing what they've heard from someone else and right. does you you mentioned martial arts earlier ivan and i'm i'm curious if if this is kind of what you're getting at, because in the martial, say like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for example, it's very prestigious how close to the origin, like you get, like your like lineage of learning is something that people almost brag about. You know, like if someone, right. if you, uh, uh, you know, if you learned from Roger Gracie and, you know, like people like, like right. almost like track that, you know, like well, I learned from this guy. I yeah, learned from this guy and he learned from Roger Gracie and he learned from this guy. Um, and that doesn't really exist in the dog training world. And most people are just regurgitating information. There's very few people that are actually coming up with new ideas and new things, yeah. new approaches. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's uh, 
another big um, even even in martial arts things are changing now but still when you are coming from a, a, a very well established school you're very proud of your lineage you 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 and in dog training it's a credit is not given like it's like don't dare to ever say no no this is me like how come and then this even there is an argument who came first with whatever and 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 most of the time it's also as we said obvious content so the going forward with this like the next level would be to provide as a trainer non-obvious solution to an obvious situation being being a problem being just a, a new training technique but it's a obvious something that we all do but now that trainer has the gift to provide you with something with a new take something that you're like okay I'm, i even as i'm talking i get goosebumps because i know it i i, I know how what that is and and I, I love when I fell into this kind of circle. It's like, whoa, you guys got my attention. It's one of the most beautiful things in, in dog training. Um, and I don't care. At this moment, nobody gives a fuck if it's all positive or balanced or what it, like this, this whole thing goes out the door because we are at the moment in a in in total immersion of of okay, that person has something new to offer, something unique, something of value to all of us. What I have found happens though, Ivan, is let's say someone in the balance training community comes up with something new. That doesn't immediately filter to the positive trainers. What would happen is some, one of the positive trainers would learn from that balance trainer and then they would almost like rebrand it to be palatable yes. to positive trainers. And I really want to say that happens the other way, but but I struggle to think of examples, to be honest. And and I think I don't think that that's because positive trainers don't come up with good ideas. I think that it's probably because of the emphasis on sport in much of the balanced training community. I guess there probably are like I guess maybe maybe an example of it going the other way would probably just be the real heavy emphasis on behaviorism that has been going on for a long time with like really as we said kind of like meta stuff like keep going signals stuff like that maybe that has was first kind of embraced by the positive training community you know even way back to don't shoot the dog and stuff like that um but either way you get this you you get this kind of like curating as you said of of information for each camp which is like so crazy and it's actually one of the things that bothers me the most and just like you said i mean that was one thing i was kind of like sad that we didn't get into more even when we did the podcast on your podcast um there's one of the reasons like i'm kind of fed up of the whole balanced and positive thing and i think I i'm just one of quite a lot of people now that have just like screw it like i'm just a dog trainer now I and i'm happy to learn from people that want to label themselves whatever um, as long as they're good ideas right I congratulations. I, I cannot be more happy for you. And I, I hope that because of these conversations, more and more people will start to wake up and, and 
it's not about picking sides and it's not about disregarding morals and ethics and and you know this tribalism is is just not serving anyone tribalism yeah. ideology and yeah it's a it's a it becomes a cult in, in in either direction you know like like we don't we are not even willing to listen to each other not willing to even listen to each other and and again sometimes you don't waste your time to listen to somebody because you you clearly understand that there is it's not worth your time um it it's even not obvious content it's like on a consumer level so of course i understand that but a lot of good conversations are really overdue and and for many reasons they are not happening um we need to I, I didn't I didn't really intend to get into the dog daddy stuff until way later into the podcast, but this this is the way podcasts go. You start mm-hmm. with one thing in mind and <laughs> it just mm-hmm. flows, you know. Absolutely. And I feel like if we start talking about content creation, we have to have that conversation. And also the like the difference between these camps and the tribalism and all the rest of it. Um how did you feel like that interview went? Were you were you happy with it? Um so yeah, I, I again like as a, as inviting him as a guest on my podcast. I wanted to hear him. I was surprised that I, I thought that Susan Garrett, I, I wouldn't have anybody that talkative, and he beats her by a slide. I mean, he just you Can know. I, this is this. Okay, I I think I have a unique insight because I I podcast with people and and um I think a lot of people don't realize as we were talking about before we started recording this interviewing people was a skill and one thing I think can really happen easily happen as as the host in a podcast is you can kind of let the interview get away from you a little bit and and that's what I felt like happened with you Ivan and like I felt like he spoke and you were doing the host thing of being polite and not interrupting him. And then before you knew it, you know, three hours has gone by and actually it just kind of gets away from you, you know, and you don't get the opportunity to maybe do what you wanted to do. Is is that a good characterization or am I wrong? I, I don't know. Like I, as the conversation or the monologue was happening, I, I was thinking about it. and. I could stop him. I could ask some questions that I could have, and then we would make getting some confrontation. And then the the, the direction can probably get in a different place. Um, so you didn't want to get into a confrontation. I want to talk. I want for people to be comfortable to come to my podcast. Because I will say, Ivan, I think. For let me kind of express the opinion of what I feel like a lot of people f- felt about that, which is that hang on a minute, Ivan has all these positive trainers on, like Susan Garrett, Michael Shikashio, even the podcast that we did, and he's totally comfortable challenging us and really pushing us for these big three hour long conversations, asking us tough questions. But then when Dog Daddy gets on, all of a sudden he's quiet. He doesn't say anything. He's he's not pushing him on anything. You know, isn't there a kind of a hypocrisy here? 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, um, again, now I'm a guest on your podcast. Now I can talk. Now I can talk about anybody without them being here, still being very respectful, but I can absolutely give my opinion on anybody and everything from, a, from not being the, the, you know, the person that leads the podcast. Um, and, and just quickly, let me add, it wasn't from the comments I read and the like commentary people were put on, on this podcast, it wasn't actually just the positive community that felt like that. Oh yeah, you know, There were a lot of balance trainers that were saying, hang on a minute, Ivan did, what was it? Two episodes criticizing low level e-collars training. And, and, you know, and now he's going to let dog daddy speak, you know, without really any challenge. So it wasn't, it wasn't just like a positive community thing either. It was like, it was on both sides. Very true. I, I, um, I actually lost a few friends because of that. Like I, I really did lose some friends because of that. Like good friends. friends because of the dog daddy interview or because of the low yeah. level we call it stuff? Yeah. Because of the dog daddy interview. Um, but so here, here we go. And it's not a, like, again, I, to get to dog daddy interview, I'm going to talk about certain people that also have been on your podcast and I will get to dog daddy, but to go to straight to dog daddy would really not make sense. Like I, I, I'm going to try to kind of really, uh, um, give you, uh, my, my honest take on of what's going on. Um, as, as anxious as everybody is to hear, if you want us, fast forward and then come back to listen to this, but do listen to what I have to say right now, because this is, uh, um, in my opinion, very important. So, um, and what I want to talk about, and I'm going to kind of touch a little bit of different, different, uh, kind of bigger, uh, 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 you know, influential at the moment people. Um, so there was, um, uh, and you did, I remember you did an interview with her because I, I listened to it even a few times. Um, Kelly Schneider, the cat, yeah. what was it? How the constructive aggression treatment or something like that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, got, I lost you first. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah you're on about, yeah, uh, yeah, constru constructional aggression, aggression treatment. Yeah, right, right. University right. of Texas, I want to say, with Jesus Rosales Ruiz, and you're right, Kelly, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then I, I will also talk about a few other people, but but there is a there is a consensus that they start when 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 I'm saying they let me put some names, okay, let me just put some names. So let's say Kelly uh, Snyder, um, Deborah Horowitz. Um, um, Karen overall, like AVSAB all along, when they talk about aggression, always starts on the premises that aggression is defensive response and is fear-based. And this is, it, it cannot be more uh, um, wrongly to say, especially when you, when you have a degree and I, I'm going to separate the veterinarians because and nothing, I have nothing against veterinarians as, as crazy as it can sound sometimes. I mean, without veterinarians, we are screwed. Like I appreciate them in, in every day that they take care of my dogs. 
Um, but but when we talk about behaviorism and animal learning and, and so on, they, they're much more limited. So when, let, let's go back to Kelly Schneider, for example, here. Like um, her, her tap thing that is very widely accepted basically is you walk away. The dog uh, uh, reacts, you wait for the dog not to react, you walk away. Apparently, the dog has to be rewarded for that. Uh, uh, it has to be rewarding for the dog the walking away. You, so right? okay, this is this is like uh, this is not where I expected to go. <laughs> but, but it's we okay. We can we, it's no no. We can talk about we can talk about this. Although I'm I'm surprised actually that you're uh, you bring Kelly into this because Kelly is someone that actually a lot of positive trainers criticize heavily because they really dislike the cat. Um, approach to dealing with aggression because it works on negative reinforcement. Um, so but, I'm kind of su I'm surprised actually yeah. that that we're bringing Kelly into this, but we can definitely talk about cat. But I think I think that with cat, it's actually the trigger that walks away, right? Isn't isn't that right? It's the it's the it's the trigger that moves away from the dog. Um, e either or. Okay. You you definitely as a handler or owner or guardian can walk away. Um, Sorry, let me finish. It, Go ahead, it, finish your point. It, it's it's totally fine. Um, I mean, I'm glad that somebody's challenging the the idea, uh, and I don't care from from where it's coming because it's just not a like like we we know there is there is so many different types of aggression that have nothing to do with the fear. Um, I uh, my understanding though, Ivan, was that cat is really specifically intended for dogs that are motivated by fear. I don't think. I mean, and that podcast was like a long time ago, so I, my memory might not be right, but I don't think that mm. Kelly recommends it for, you know, frustration reactivity, for example. I, I think that I think that that is quite specific to fear, but maybe I'm wrong. No, no, she, she, um, this is a problem. Like even when you, like, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by frustration, uh, um, reactivity or, or aggression because um, it can mean quite a few things uh, but no matter what aggression we're talking when they start peeling the onion they want to make it based on some fear i don't think kelly does though ivan i i really don't i think that, that we're just talking in cat they're specifically talking about dogs that are fearful you know and maybe well, I, I, listen, here, here's the thing. So, so let's say, let's say the dogs that are only fearful. Okay. When, and, and I'm talking from, from reading and studying a lot of textbooks, a lot of textbooks, and having 40 years of teaching dogs to bite and teaching dogs not to bite, including police dogs, protection dogs, um, working with, like, I have super extensive knowledge insight and and i have spent a lot of time teaching dogs to bite and teaching dogs not to bite there is a when you have a dog that is afraid that there is fear the, the typically the first choice of that dog is to stay low key not to go hey i'm here i'm gonna scare you because i'm more scared of you this really doesn't happen and i will tell you because we like in the german shepherd world you know, like you have the show German Shepherds and they have their Choron 
and they all have to pass it because they have to prove that they are worthy for breeding and worthy for breeding means that they have to have the courage to you know uh, um go into uh, show some aggression show some uh, uh dominance and when a dog doesn't when the dog is fearful it's very very difficult to teach that dog we're good still right yeah we are connected yeah, yeah. we are it is very difficult to teach that dog to even bark at you because they know that if they even bark at you they're they're like then they, they're going to confuse that I want to fight or that I don't want to. So I'm quiet. And it takes a very crazy approach that it's most of the time not not a uh, uh, really uh, uh, horrible thing to do to where you really kind of put the dog in a corner and you press it and you eliminate flight and freeze and and trying you know the, the only thing is to come forward and you if you're very skillful you can make a dog defend itself but guess what the very moment that dog has an opportunity to where he's in a distance he's like okay you're telling me to go to buy that person but i'm not under threat i don't feel like i need to i'm not stupid I don't want to. I'm Big difference with biting and barking, I'd say, though. You know, like let me. So let me counter that a no, little bit. There is no big difference. This is another. This is another uh, uh, very interesting thing when when we're talking about uh, um, when we're talking about if you stop a dog from growling, then he's not going to give you any signs and he's going to bite you. This is a, a well promoted. Uh, you you have to slow down though, Ivan, because this. You you make seven points and then I can't like then okay. I have no opportunity. <laughs> so I I'm glad that we're talking about this because obviously I'm newer to bite work. So that when whenever we get into bite work analogies, I'm gonna be less experienced. But actually with reactivity, that is pretty much what I do almost every day. So I, mm -hmm. I do see a lot of dogs that have reactivity issues. And I would disagree with you on the I think dogs can be reactive. And still be fearful. So, for example, um, so you so I'll I'll try my hand at a uh, a bite work analogy. You was you were talking a little bit about uh, the German Shepherd in that example. I was talking to Michael Ellis earlier in the week. Obviously, we spoke about that, and he was talking about Dr. Stuart Hilliard and how that style of bite work really kind of like was a big insight for him, right? Where he where uh, Stuart Hilliard would like over-exaggerate, right? And he would boost the dog's confidence in using aggression, if you want to call it that, I guess, barking and that kind of stuff. Like that would like raise the dog's confidence because of the overreactions and stuff like that. And I think with a lot of pet dogs, that happens somewhat naturally in the sense that what happens is the dog is fearful. Maybe they try barking or something like that. And then what happens is the other dog moves away. Either the other dog moves away or the owner gets embarrassed and tries to pull their dog away, right? And then that behavior is reinforced. And then more and more over time, the dog starts realizing, hang on a minute, this aggression is a great strategy to make the other dog move away, right? Talking about dog-to-dog -dog reactivity. And I, I, I think that's what happens. So when we're talking about behavior, when we look at something through a lens of behaviorism, we no. look at what is, hang on, hang on. We look at what is the consequence, 
right? And the consequence of the aggression is the other dog moves away one way or the other and therefore is reinforced. So just talking about aggression through a behaviorism lens, looking at the consequence, the other dog moves away and the aggression seems to worsen or, or continue, that tells us that it's being reinforced by the movement away, right? Sometimes. Uh, We're so, specifically talking about fear here. So let's... Yeah, so when you... And, and like the, the, the reactivity is a very... It's, it's one of those things that we need to we need to come to agreement what what exactly we're talking so if you have a dog that is walking on a sidewalk sees another dog lunges forward and starts barking is that what you would call re reactive person so the, you're right ivan this is something that gets confused all the time online and i don't think there's a right or a wrong it's just what people describe things as and yeah, i yeah. guess because i'm a pet dog trainer the the people that I come across, they use reactivity to mean the dog is barking and lunging. And that can, that can range from just a little bit of an excited bark and that where there's no aggression at all, all the way to, you know, full aggression, really trying to get the other dog. So, so all of that would be under the label reactivity to my clients, at least. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, we have to, we, we definitely, we can say, okay, we can say that it's reactive or we might just say that the dog is aggressive and but then we still need to put it in a certain category so we understand what we need to do um you mean like the motivation of the dog is that what you're getting at well what what type of aggression are we talking again it, it, we, so not... i think your point though ivan which i do actually agree with even though we've gone off on a tangent <laughs> is that oftentimes people want to ascribe everything to fear Correct. And, and I agree that is that is an issue that oftentimes issue. yeah I, I agree with that yeah. yeah very very big issue uh, I mean I mean it's such a big issue that when you and and I am a pet dog trainer like I I've been training pet dogs since early 80s I have a super successful pet dog training business this is really if you really want to put me anywhere how I look at myself. I am a pet dog trainer. I love breeding Malinois. I love competing. I love challenges because I come up with an idea. Like when we talk about the, you know, the obvious content, non-obvious content, and then you have a, a creator, then, then you have somebody that comes up with a totally new, unique uh, approach to things. And I feel this is what I do because I don't teach, learn it from anybody. But then I go and I test it and I have to test it. And this is the competition to me. It's kind of like the like the belts in martial arts. And I have won 15, 16 national championships. This is insane. And a couple of world titles. And a couple of world titles. <laughs> and I don't have a village around me. Because I'm interested in, in my own creations. I really want I, I really want to get to all of the fun IGP stuff and all the rest but, of it. But we have to but, get we have to get through this dog daddy stuff though, Ivan. But let me tell you, it, it's about pet dog training. And this is my passion. And um um when when I talk about dog training, I primarily would, you know, like 
solving behavioral problems, teaching basic uh, uh, skills to dogs, teaching them to play, teaching all this. This is this is what I do on a daily basis. I am a pet dog trainer. Now, I, I, I you know, again, like one more thing. We, you, you got my point about the fear aggression. Another thing, like like with, uh, I think, I don't know, was it you or was it on somebody else's podcast? But again, with, with Kelly's, and and it's hard that I'm putting names, and I don't have nothing personally against, but but then we are putting names on one side. We should be able to put names all around and be able to talk about it, just like people would put my name and be able to talk about it. And so when she talks about resource guarding and starts to give me the idea of, of dropping food in the dog's dish and going that route to work on resource guarding. Okay. I think that's very, uh, um, What's I mean, it's dangerous. It Why doesn't, is it dangerous? It doesn't lead to any success when you have a genetically dog that protects their food. This will not really... You're losing me here, Ivan, because I've done this for years. What with kind se- of dogs? With, how, with pet, how, with pet like, dogs. I mean, how severe, how severe the cases were. At what, mm-hmm. at what point you... I've done it with dogs. Dog. I've done it with dogs that have hospitalized people. I've done it. So, I mean, I mean, how much more extreme can you get? Like, I don't know. So let me, so with resource guarding, you can still take a counter conditioning approach, right? Which is teaching the dog, Hey, look, you don't, you, you see it as a threat when someone comes and takes something from you. My ultimate goal is to make you think that me taking something from you is going to lead to better stuff. So here's an analogy we use with pet people all the time. Let's say for a second, Ivan, that you were eating your dinner, right? And I came up and took it from you. Maybe the first time you'll be like shocked and you wouldn't really know how to respond. After a while, you're going to start getting violent, right? You're going to be like, hey, you can get lost, Nick, right? But instead, if I came up to you and you were eating your dinner and I gave you a hundred pounds and then I took your dinner, you probably feel a lot better about it. Especially if I gave you a hundred pounds, took your dinner and then gave it back to you, right? And then if I do that for however long, mm-hmm. eventually you're going to be very happy for me to take your dinner from you, right? Because you know you're going to get paid and there's a good chance you're going to get it straight back again. And that is essentially yeah. exactly the process that we're trying to go through with the resource guarding with a counter conditioning approach. Yeah, so it's good conversation and, and here is how I disagree with it because there, there are levels and there is a... There are levels where it's very deeply genetically ingrained as a response, as a home base. I agree. There are. And when I talk about a home base, it's like, you know, like in in people's uh, uh, psychology books, Mm -hmm. they call it the ocean uh, thing. Uh, But but let's say you're at the ATM machine and your grandma taps you on the shoulder and you turn and you punch her and you knock her out. And another person gets stopped by the same grandma and they freeze. And another one becomes very talkative. These are responses that are not processed. They're instinctual. This is what I say. It's a home base. Okay. So you can prepare. Yeah, yeah. And when it's expected, 
you can be highly successful. But when it's so strongly exaggerated in your DNA, yeah. genetically, yeah. out of five months, you can be super successful. And then there is this one time for one piece of keyboard that that dog's going to nuke you. Okay. And it's going to be super dangerous to, to advise somebody when you recognize the different levels of resource. Okay. Because sometimes it's very instinctual. It's nothing to do with training and behaviorism. Oh, 100%. Okay, so I, I agree with that, Ivan, because we get puppies coming to puppy class sometimes. They're eight weeks old in their resource guarding. So you know that there's a genetic component there. No one's had time to like teach the dog to resource guard. So I 100% agree. And, and maybe... You know, we can talk about that a bit more. However, what your argument now is that the resource guarding is so genetic that it's an unconscious response. And actually, well, maybe counter conditioning will work. But as soon as the dog, like as soon as you kind of surprise the dog, you're going to get that resource guarding. Yeah. And again, okay. so tell me how your approach, tell me how your approach solves that, though. How does okay. your approach solve yeah. that? So my approach will be extremely simple when again, the first thing is recognize the levels. If you if you are good enough and you don't fool yourself, and if you are questioning yourself as a trainer, then be more on the safer side and don't be like, I can do this shit. Because people get hurt because of that. The way, again, I would deal with it if I know, and, and trust me, I have played with this, for years and years and years, just as you say you have, I probably have good 30 years on top of yours, just simply because I'm that old, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, when I recognize the genetic component that it's so instinctual, mm -hmm. I uh, all the time, 100% will advise the people, even if they are playing with anything uh, um, with any counter conditioning and any any of this stuff, not to lose the guard and respect the dog when you give him the food. Make sure that you give the food in a place where the dog is comfortable, feels safe, and it can eat its food instead of thinking of who's coming to mess with it. This yeah, is everyone agree with. I think I don't think you'll get opposition on that. Sure, sure. But my opposition is when you are not recognizing that strong genetic, that home base. But who isn't recognized it, Ivan? I've recognized it. <laughs> who isn't recognizing it? Oh, okay, Ivan, I want to know your solution to this, though, because if it's an unconscious thing, let's, and, and I'm just kind of reading between the lines here, if you're going to use an aversive approach for resource guarding, you're still going to deal with the same unconscious unconscious response because it's unconscious why, why do you think I, I i never suggested an aversive approach well you won't tell me what your approach is ivan <laughs> i i absolutely don't don't didn't didn't say any approach okay yeah i know this is the so, problem here is the approach the approach doesn't really like i i would not mess with the dog's resources i would you know like when you have now, now that the world is going to shit all over the world mm -hmm. with wars, this is a very good example of, of, of what I will tell you. You have young kids that sign up in the army and they go in a boot camp and they have to fix their bed 10 times in the morning because the sergeant says it's not good enough. 
They have to put their cloth 10 times because it's not good enough. They have to dig the hole. They have to fill the hole. They have to march, but they are not marching strong enough. They are singing, but they're not singing good. This is what is called boot camp, to where you become very comfortable listening and following somebody else's orders. To the point that we can put you in the little village and you start killing little kids and you're absolutely have no conscious bad feeling about it because that's what has happened. This is what really good obedience training can look like. The reason we do obedience training is to get in a dog's head so we can have control, we can have freedom, we can play, we can do everything but we have a healthy report. Okay, I think this I'm understanding. This is not punishment-based. Oh, no, no, fair enough. So your approach then is is basically you want to have such good obedience with the dog that you can kind of, you can control the dog for obedience. So the resource guarding just doesn't, is not a problem essentially. Is that right? Because um, you can say to the dog, hey, cut it out, lay down, go here, do that, you know, and you, you have no, the control. No, not quite, not quite, not quite. Like, again, I'm not implying, um, recently I did a video with a female of mine, young, young female, and I put a muzzle on her for a first time and I clipped her nails for a first time. Or no, I used that. I saw that video, I, yeah. You've seen it. Yeah, so, I'm worried though, Ivan, you're doing this thing, you're changing the subject again. <laughs> no, I'm not changing the subject. I'm, I'm right with the subject because this is, the reason I'm able to do that is because I have trust and cooperation okay. with that dog. This is not based on fear and respect. This is 100% cooperation and trust. It's funny that you have that approach though, Ivan, because actually I think a lot of positive trainers have that approach and a lot of people criticize them for it in the sense that, so let me give you a, a, a like a solution a lot of people will give for resource guarding. And maybe this isn't exactly, um, I think maybe yours is slightly different, but a lot of positive trainers would say, okay, your dog resource guards, let's get a really good retrieve. You know, let's get a really good ability to send the dog to the bed or whatever, right? So they try to kind of obedience train their way out of it. And and maybe that's not exactly what you're, you're saying, but like my, I, I actually disliked that approach because what I would find is that you weren't addressing the issue head on. So... So essentially, the dog would still have the problem. So say that you had a guest over and they didn't know that your dog did that and right. they reached down to pick something up, they're, they're still going to get bitten because yeah, they, don't know to, they don't know to say to the dog, hey, bring it here or whatever, you know? So I like to directly work on the issue. But I, do, I do that with the counter conditioning approach. Yeah, and absolutely. I I, I, and again, like... Um, how, how we can clarify this, because that's not like I hate um, and, and I'm sure we, we're going to end up talking differential reinforcement. Like mm -hmm. I when when uh, um, I, I like to be very direct in my training. I know like, you do. I don't yeah. want you to be uh, uh, doing this and not knowing that that is just a bad idea. You don't like workarounds, basically. Um, no, not really. try to work around a problem instead of solving not really. it. Not really. No, I don't like it. Yeah, I understand. Um, even when I do differential, any differential reinforcement, I am not looking like, like to me, incompatible behavior. 
is one of the very bad ideas. Um, alternative behavior, depending what it is. I'll give you an example, and we will go to predation substitute and Simon Mueller. Oh, God. <laughs> we have to. You have to promise me you're going to get back to Dog Daddy, though. I and am this, going to Dog Daddy also, because, because... And also, you're going to have to promise me your time because the podcast hasn't even started on the narrative that I wanted to go out. <laughs> so, so, let me talk. So, when, when, we, are, when we are talking about... Uh, um, if I use differential reinforcement, let's say I would, I, I'm looking to offer the dog a behavior that fits, if possible, 100% with the desire of the dog, but it's directed into doing something that I would like him to do instead of the other thing. I am very much against trying to convince a dog, you really want to do that because your genes are your blood and your your every cell in your body is calling you to do that. And now I'm telling you to do something that is totally different and I'm going to give you so much reinforcement. And if I fail, that means that I wasn't good trainer enough and I'm going to do some uh, more uh, um, analysis and, 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 and whatnot. But ultimately, a good trainer looks, how do I guide those genes into doing something that I like to do instead of getting stuck in that. But these two things don't conflict though, Ivan. You can do both of these things alongside. The, the When we're talking about the resource guarding here, like I would say do the resource guarding, the counter conditioning approach, because you actually, and to your point, Ivan, I think you don't, you, this, we don't want to work around it. We actually want to change how you feel about this situation. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's really not a workaround. It's, it's mm -hmm. quite the opposite. At the same time, though, I want to take Ivan's approach of like, I want to win this dog's trust. I, I want like this whole experience really is about winning the dog's trust, making them think that you're a team, right? And so, yeah. So here, here is like going to the roots of this whole thing that we got stuck with the resource guarding. <laughs> um, I mean, I love the conversation, so got to bear with me. I, I'm finally a guest and I feel like I can yeah, just... Yeah, I know, Ivan, and I feel bad because I have to cut you off a lot because... I, okay. Because otherwise, you, this is going to be my dog daddy episode. Where right. Ivan, Ivan talks for three hours, and we can and do I've... we can do part two. Anyway, so <laughs> when we're talking resource guarding, again, recognizing the levels of intensity and how much is genetic predisposition, yeah. how much is very instinctual to where you get up and you punch somebody because we know that's your home base. Mm -hmm. And I can play with you and I can touch you for the next month and you can be okay. And then with this one time out of nowhere, as you're busy and everything is happening and you knock me out, this is what's going to happen. Now, when it's a little punk that thinks that they can do whatever they want to do, it can be straightened out very easy. It's like, you don't do that. Of course, I'm going to take your food if I want to take your food, like, and I'm not going to like starve you or anything, but there are some rules in the house. There are some consequences. You mean like puppies and young dogs and stuff like that? Correct. Correct. But that comes to, you know, uh, um, the, the boot camp that I'm telling you. And the boot camp, please, everybody understand, this is a very extreme example that I'm giving you. I'm not suggesting that 
this horrible training that is called punishment-based, which I have no idea what that really is because it's absolutely not possible to train a dog only to punishment. Um, but that's anyway, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that you teach a dog that there are consequences. The problem is much bigger, Nick, of, of resource guarding and, and many other uh, uh, problems that we have as a trainers. And, and where the problem comes from is radical behaviorism, is Skinner's inventions that are somehow still stuck in trainers' minds that we can, to sum it up, we can control behavior through reinforcement and punishment. And this is not <clears throat> always the case. We have a, a, a huge, huge problems with, with like, like Skinner is exposed over and over and over again that this is not possible. You know the uh, John Garcia experiment with the with the rats. Like I don't people know. don't know it. They give so they had in the sixty. This is kind of where radical. The one I'm thinking of is is the raccoons. I can't remember who was. I'll, that I'll was... tell you. I'll tell okay. you. Yeah. Raccoons are bad. The bad ones. Um, so Garcia, John Garcia, in in the sixties, comes up with this experiment. It's like okay. We're going to give the rats some food and we're going to put some, uh, um, some, some poison, some nuclear, like something bad, but it's tasteless. It's nothing. So the, the rat associates it straight with the food. This is the, the whole, this is how the, because of that experiment, the whole food aversion theory became relevant. And, and of course they picked up very quickly and they, didn't touch certain food because they know they get sick. Just like, just like you go to an Indian restaurant and the chicken was bad and, and you don't order chicken or you don't go to that restaurant, even though that happens in classical conditioning terms, it's not forward. It's not uh, uh, trace. It's very much after, right? So that, that is one of the beauties of, of classical conditioning, uh, the different uh, options that we have. The interesting part of the experiment is what the, he did. He was like, okay, how about we try to teach them not to take the food by playing loud sounds and scary noises and flashing and whatever. Certainly, they none of the mice stayed to eat. They all checked out. That's what mice are really good at. But they did not make the association between the food and the noises and the lights. And the reason they did not make association is because that, that whole thing is happening in a different compartment, if you want, in the brain. The food aversion versus the other learning. He presented this. He tried to present this like for a couple of years and it was nobody was trying to open it up because typically the notion is that you, you can do anything with reinforcement. You know, Watson said, give me dozens of babies and I'll make them lawyers, beggars, and da da da, da. There is a, yes, you have the, the raccoon, the instinctual, it's called the instinctual drift experiment. With the Braylons, right. Right. Um, you can find again, that online as well. You can just Google dog, that. And it the comes dog basically, I mean, the dog, the raccoon goes into a loop 
And typically this happens when they start to understand the task and now they're associating what's going on and they go into a loop and they cannot pass they that washing. That's thing. right. So they were trying to train, I think they were trying to train them to put a coin in something for like a, sure. a trick. They, they were doing a lot of commercials at the time. They got uh, a lot of money to do uh, uh, all sorts of different commercials. And they couldn't stop them from trying to wash it Correct. because that was their instinct to, to do when they had something in their hands like that. Correct. And so they, they try to do a lot of different things. They make the the target bigger, the whatever, whatever. Um, and I think it, people are realizing this now, Ivan. You're right, and and I think people are realizing there are limitations, really, but not really not. They're not, and the, the reason they're not is because I'm watching and I'm reading. It's not going quick enough for you. I am watching Susan Friedman. I'm watching. Uh, um, Horowitz, I'm watching everybody. They are still stuck in radical behaviorism. And I will point you out where. But these are the, the faults with radical behaviors. You have another experiment, which is called, and by the way, um, the raccoon experiment, we we go uh, in depth at, at my dog trainer school. And uh, one of the things that uh, we were actually working on this and hopefully we'll make it as a project. As I was telling you with the differential reinforcement as well, you always have to try to, instead of go against the genetics and instincts, try to see how you can incorporate. Yeah, because so- the ultimate point. I did a podcast with Jay Jack recently and he had a brilliant example of this where he was talking about how with ex-fighting dogs, he prefers instead of like, look at me training with food, he tries to get the dog to kind of express that fighting drive onto a tug toy instead. So you're giving the dog an outlet for the behavior they want to do instead of just trying to use food, which I, I thought was a really nice example of that. This can be like, as far as just just giving the dog a, a sense of purpose to do stuff, right? Not, not as a behavior modification plan, hopefully. Uh, no, I think like it was trying to, well, I think first of all, Jay teaches it just in a play context mm -hmm. and he tries to make it as I hate relaying other people's thoughts. Cause I always feel like if I don't do them justice, I'm going to feel extremely guilty, but I'll try and do my best. And I think that Jay tries to make it express that kind of like have the same kind of adrenaline rush as close as he possibly can do, obviously onto right. a tug toy and stuff like that. He conditions that first a little bit. Then he starts to use it when other dogs are present and stuff like that. So it's not just a case of using the tug toy as a reward. It's more than that. It's, it's more about trying to express that drive into a different outlet, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can go very quickly into that too. Um, there is a difference if you're, if you're really trying to, uh, um, if you're working with a dog that is already being in, in the pit and fighting versus just a, a bully dog that is a good representative of the breed that's never been presented with this situation and you're just giving him an outlet that fits his genetics. There I agree with. Um, where I would disagree, that is the case. And I, I've talked to Jay quite a bit, but um, I, I'm, you know, I don't... Um, Pit bulls are, and any fighting dogs, like I, again, I mean, I'm right now in Bulgaria. I grew up, 
as a kid, I walked around the streets. That my friends were the stray dogs. Like I know, uh, recently you were talking with somebody about the dogs in Romania, and I, I, I was like, man, you, you gotta talk to me about this because I can explain to you why they get. That was where I wanted to start this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we do have also we have the what is called in Bulgaria Karakachanskovcharka. We have the Tangal dogs. We have the Caucasian. This is this is. From Bulgaria on, that's where the region starts with all this massive, crazy... Livestock guardians. Yes. But this is no joke when they... Oh, 100%. Yeah, uh, the serious dogs. So, but the, in any case, bullies and everybody, the, the what it is is selection, and the selection is very simple. Just you eliminate how we said you have a home base. You basically select for the home base that they do not know how to exit. They're courageous and brave, if you want to call it this way, but but uh, uh, um, courage, you know, it, it's a personality characteristic, but the, the notion really is, it's not that I'm not afraid, it's just that I don't care. I don't know anything else. I'm coming in and I'm all in right now. So when when a bully dog is all in, they just cannot exit. There is it's not coming in their head as an option. And ultimately, when you are dealing with a dog, and this is when eight thousand stop. When um, you know, going back to resource guarding again, there is the levels. But ultimately, you don't want bully dogs to get in a fight. Of course, that's the. They they can be super cool and never had the experience to master a martial arts dog fighting. It's very self-reinforcing, isn't Their it? Their genetics are yes. telling them yeah. that this is what I do and that's the only thing that I do. Um, but now I need to backtrack and, and remember where I was with with the uh, Skinner and stuff. So with with the instinctual drift, again, the looking into genetics, how to direct them and make it be on your side instead of working against you. One of the things to do is you can you can um, create the reward for the raccoon to where it serves the natural way of them eating. Like even if you put the little treat in a tiny uh, uh, aluminum foil, just giving them that opportunity to take the trick and open it up. This is genetic fulfillment at that point. And the essential drip, is it going to happen? Most likely not. Oh, that's interesting. So that's good to hear. Yeah, that's an interesting strategy. Because now you have an end goal. But that's, so that's a little bit like pre-Mac, right? It's no. a little bit, little bit like pre-Mac, isn't not it? Not at all. Okay, why isn't it? Not at all, because Primac is, uh, I mean, really, everything is Primac. Even if you teach a dog to sit, it's a Primac. Like, Primac is a... It's a, it's a little bit of a nothing, but like, I, but, you know, if you're trying to get... Okay, I'll take your point. Primac, you put, is, when you, Primac is when you when you have somebody that... It's like, okay, you have a search and rescue dog, and they don't like to go up a ladder. And then... You make them go one time up the ladder, and then there is a, something that they really like to do. So I, I've done like crazy seminars with this 
problems like this. Um, this can be tough to apply to dogs, though, can't it? Because, mm -hmm. for example, like let's say you apply that to a dog context, right? Which the dog, one? the the idea of the genetic fulfillment, right? Let's say that I have like a Hungarian Vizsla, so right? Let me give you. Let me give you an example with the okay. dogs. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Like I'm very big on. I, I'm a pet dog trainer, and I am very much play-based trainer. This is like I've yeah. done this for the moment I started training dog. And I feel that I'm in a very different level with it. I can make a dog play that has been playing with their owner or with their trainer for the last two years, and they're playing very beautifully. And I can take a dog for 30 seconds to a minute, and that dog will prefer to play with me and would not know why. And the reason he would know why is because I will open up something that has not been utilized, that is so primitive, so primal, so important. So give us an example if you can. Here we go. So if you have, trying to think of something, Don Piley, Chaser, everybody has seen it. If he hasn't seen it, go watch it. He has a couple of videos that are very cool. Uh, what did you say the name was? Can you say that again? Chaser, the border collie. Oh, yeah, dog yeah, I'm family. familiar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The dog that knows more than a thousand words. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. A couple of years ago, I, I I, actually had the opportunity to talk to him at one point. Um, so when he plays with the dog, he played with the dog, he incorporated the herding instinct. So he would have the ball and he would tell Chaser to back up, to come close, to go left, to go right, and then eventually get the ball. Now, you can see the same video of somebody doing it with a low-level steam electric collar, and it looks exactly identical. But the one, it's kind of like me going into some yoga position and a true yogi next to me in the same position. And within 30 seconds, I am sweating and struggling in pain, and that dude can stay five hours and who knows where his mind is. So when you teach this with low skin, it looks the same on the surface, but you don't utilize what the dog is genetically likes. So herding instinct, this is selection. You only teach a herder how to what you want them, when do you want them to do, but you don't teach them how exactly to down and how exactly to move to the side. This is all comes from within. So if you're playing any game with a border collie, all of you people, I advise you that you try to play around and wake up that genetic moments in the game. And they will just go, they, they will be sucked in instantly. Uh, as you said, a Visla, uh, any pointing dog, play any game you want to play, but stop for a second and give that dog the opportunity to actually point, just for a moment. You just touch a very different level of play. I, I always say what we think is rewarding may not be rewarding for the dog. And that's one of those uh, obvious glimpses of, of you know content that everybody's like, like, like but you don't understand what I'm telling you even. So this is what I mean by if it's gonna be a bully and you're playing with a bully, 
One of the most rewarding thing you can do with a true example of, of genetic specimen, once he gets the tuck toy or ball or whatever, all you need to do is just here and there, try to pull it away, try to pull it away. And they're just sitting there. And it seems like there is no game and nothing is happening. But it's like the ultimate satisfaction for us. That's what they, they're, they're like a jujitsu master. It's a tap out. I have you. Try, try to, try to take it. Please try. It's not a left and right and up and down for them. Of course, that has a place. But the ultimate reward, if you want to search for genetic reward, that's where it is. Do, do, do you get where I'm going now? Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I wanted to ask you about this, Ivan, because you're right. I think you do have a unique way of training dogs, which is very play-based, uh, contrary to what a lot of people think about you. You know, a lot of people think, you know, Ivan's all about the e-collar, and they kind of missed that, actually, that, that your training is really play-based. And I'm really curious about how you develop that. And I've become even more curious as I've been getting into the IGP circles, because I feel like so much of what I'm learning from, like, which I think is just like IGP norm, is right. very... Which is very uh, food-luring, you know, uh, it, it's very food-luring heavy, essentially. Um, and I'm, so I'm curious... At what point did you start, like, were you into food luring at one point and then you came into the play training or like, did, how did that happen? Like, how did that evolve? Mm. Yeah. Um, I still want to talk about Susan Friedman, Simon Miller and Horowitz, at least. And Skinner. <laughs> but, but this is how it happens with the play. Okay. So, um, um, give me, give me a moment, kind of collect my, I need to, um, it's very, it comes very intuitive to me. Oddly enough, play comes very intuitively to every animal, especially mammals. And the beauty of dogs and people, humans, is that a lot of uh, mammals, they, they grow out of it as they grow, the play. We are playful until we die. Like if you, as a human, you have no limits of how many games your brain can come up with. You're absolutely limitless in that aspect. We know from um, Panskep now, John Panskep, you know, the guy that tickles the rats, that he actually is way more famous with something very different, which is, again, critiquing radical behaviors and trying to, you know, Skinner bypassing the black box here it's like, okay, well, yeah. right. um, but that's where his efforts are but he was the person that finally came forward and it was early 2000s to where everybody finally was like wow where were we it's like copernicus all of a sudden the sun we re we go around the sun wow and and what he said is that play is a primary reinforcer and this is huge. This is this means that you don't need to give a treat to reward a dog when it's playing fetch in, in simple, silly terms. You when did you realize to... this though, Ivan? Like when did you realize that this I'm getting so <laughs> I so I knew that I get I like many trainers, you, you don't need to be rocket science. You play enough with dog training, you realize that 
dogs like to play and people like to play. Did you begin with food luring though and then realize or did you just play from the beginning? No, uh, I, I'm very good at food luring. Listen, to, to be where I am, and I hate to talk about myself and, you know, but I, I am truly the 1% of the 1% of the trainers in the world. I, I train my own dogs in my own way. I don't rely on anybody else. And I have, I've been training guide dogs. I've been doing shelter work. I've been doing pet, like I have a very extensive wide range of understanding animal learning. No, you will, you will like this, Ivan. I was talking to Michael Ellis and what Michael said about you is he said, he said that you're a savant essentially. And he said, I've watched Ivan do things that I don't think should be able, should work. And yet they do. And he said, Ivan seems to be able to think like a dog. And it's, he, I, I think he really ascribes a really unique kind of quality, you know, like a, a savant, you know, just like a real unique ability. Mike is know? very good with words. Um, so where I'm going with this play is obviously life's a, a very special place. It's not like you and I having a nice dinner. Like we, when, when all needs are met, we try to entertain ourselves. We want to play. This is who we are. This is who dogs are. This is, this is something that it's beyond, like, like it's, it's ridiculous that we, it took so many years. Um, when I was working at guide dogs and I was trying to, to open their eyes and even now I'm getting emails from them. It's like, you were so ahead of your time or we wish that whatever is like, yeah, well, it's not too late. Um, the problem most trainers, everybody recognizes and recognize at the time because when you, so I'm coming, my, my background, again, I told you, I grew up on the streets. I, I, I would go into 10 meters holes like this and get bitten by females that has puppies just because what I do. Um, but, but eventually you start to train, you start to play, you realize that it is, you just open up a, a door that, that brings this exuberance and because you you started coming with the key... back from Europe, <laughs> from Eastern Europe specifically, being growing up with this military style Russian yes. dog training, which is not that different than the German military style dog training. It all comes down to Conrad Most, and Conrad Most is arguably uh, uh, more knowledgeable than than Skinner in in many areas of understanding reinforcement and punishment but that's another day very similar training which was at the time yeah not could we do better sure we can do better and all of a sudden people start to realize yeah we we trying it's not that nobody wants to be stuck in medieval ages everybody's trying to get better so all trainers at the time are trying. And in Europe, everywhere, Western, Eastern Europe, all of a sudden toys are coming more and more in play to balance out the compulsion. And it's working. But then it starts to advance more and more, the demand, the skill. And there is a moment where uh, um, 
it starts a little bit from that, but Gottfried Dildai was the first one that kind of really promoted luring and, and in, in competitive training, like hot dogs, like in his videos, that was like how they chop hot dogs. Um, because you can get instantly a behavior, just as I was telling you with the yoga and me in the same position, but I don't know why I'm in that position while he's in the stratosphere somewhere, he left his body. It's very similar with the food training. They're, they're displaying behaviors, but they're not recognizing what they're doing. To make it shorter, the reason the whole route kind of changing to full training at the time was because of that, because it's much easier for everybody to get very quick, instant result and control, but not the kind of control that is based on the compulsion. To where when you have play, what do you get? You get a rambunctious dog that you, you, you were telling him to do something and there is nobody to listen. They are so highly aroused. And all you need to do, and again, I mean, I have, I'm not going to advertise myself, but while everybody at the time was doing sits and downs and stands and luring feeding, I was like, okay, how about we come to an agreement First of all, what game are we playing? So like if we have, as humans, we go to a basketball court and there is actual basket and there is a basketball, we can dribble it, we can kick it, or we can learn the basketball game. So how about we learn the basketball game? And how about we set rules? So what are the rules of your game? And how about training? those rules that you cannot actually cut because all rules are meant to be bended, right? So there are consequences for breaking rules. How about finally we come into cooperation to play a game that we like, that I make you addicted to because you're that good, because, you know, the, and, and I divide games in competitive games, non-competitive games. This is a whole different seminar here. No, I've seen, I've got your Chasing Games course and so I found it once, really helpful. Once I am able to tell the dog, and, and when I'm talking dog, it can be nine-year-old dog that never wanted to play because nobody had that, I, I was going to say feeling, but it's not even a feeling, it's just... But you show that you show that on your Chasing Games Right, course. right. And um, or it what... can be eight-week-old puppy, and that eight-week-old puppy will go get the toy and very consciously give it to you because it wants to interact with you and not the toy. That was one of the things I enjoyed about your Chasing Games uh, course, Ivan, is there is a big section where you're playing with a dog that no one could play with. It wasn't interested in playing with anyone. Mm. And you film the whole thing. And if I remember rightly, it's not edited or it's like very right. lightly edited. And and so you're showing the like start to finish of the session. And one of the things that really like like a light bulb moment for me was how persistent you were with that dog. And I think, and you even say it in the course, you're like, you know, so many trainers, they try for 20 seconds and then they give up and just say, Hey, this dog is not play motivated or, or whatever. And to be honest, I have probably been like that as well, especially in a session where I feel very like time constrained, you know, I need to get a result with this dog. Um, but actually you you take the time, you you continue to try for 15 minutes or so, and you're just kind of like kicking the toy around, playing, 
on your own essentially and then eventually the dog engages a little bit and they engage a little bit more and they engage a little bit more and then at the end of it you're playing with a dog and it's it's actually really beautiful to watch and and, and do you know what that's what irritates me Ivan about the whole divide is that we're missing that information right. you know because no one wants to watch the video because it's made by Ivan and and I'll tell you what else it's I really love it's not just that Nick it's not it's not big, well of course it's but, but I'll tell you what else I love though Ivan which which I thought was really helpful was the triangle game. And mm -hmm. I, and I, do you know what? After I watched that, it was one of those moments for me, like, oh my God, that's so, like, why haven't I thought of that? You know, like, it's just like, I, you, you probably get that moment a lot in dog, uh, dog training. I do, always do. Like, sometimes you see something and it seems so obvious. You, and you're just like, why didn't I think of that? And it's such a nice, for me, it's really is helpful because I work with a lot of reactive dogs. Sometimes I come across dogs that, you know, they don't, they're not particularly food motivated in that moment, but they love their ball. And it's such a fantastic way of building rapport with a dog. So I've, yeah. I've used the triangle game since watching your video. And I just, uh, yeah, I just think that that's something that, that is, is always a, a victim of this tribalism is like the loss of information. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you why this is happening. Um, the games, of course, we use them as a, a very, very incredible reward or reinforcement, whichever word you want to use, um, for competition dogs. But they're the most valuable when you work with pet dogs and with people, just an, an average person that has a dog that may or may not have a problem. And if they not have a problem, they better start playing sooner so they don't have problem. Or if they have a problem, it's much more like when, like, you know, when you walk into somebody's house and you're gonna work on, you call it the activity, whatever, the dog doesn't like people to come in his house, whatever sure. we wanna call it. And you come in and you start throwing treats left and right. It's very different. It doesn't fit the genetic predisposition. It, it is very- um, It's tough like though, Ivan, dogs, because- dogs and, dogs and people, we have something, we are social. We, we are, you know, we live together. We, we don't like to be alone. We are social creatures. But yeah. one of the very, very hard things for us is to guess what the other one wants to do or what the other one is about to do next. Especially when there is that very first meeting, especially when all the antecedents call for something that past experience brings up. And when you throw food, take, take two dogs that don't know each other. Things can go a few ways. One can go away, they both can huckle up and stand up. They can go straight into a fight and not even wanting to go into a fight. Or one can go into a play bow and that play bow immediately in that instance shows what? My intention. I'm not a threat, right? I am not just not a threat, but I'm like, dude, do you want to play? And if you don't want to play, that's where it ends. It's, diffi it's difficult in a session, though, Ivan, because oftentimes when you go into that dog's house, is it have if it has that problem, oftentimes, I mean, sometimes, of course, and maybe this is what you're talking about, maybe you get more of a guarding response, and I could kind of see what you're talking about. But when you do have dogs that are actually more fearful, 
it's tough because when dogs are scared, I mean, I, w- I, I don't know if you're, what your experiences are with this, Ivan, but I always find when a dog is scared, uh, you know, we talk about the dog will stop taking food when they're scared, right. you know, but also I would, they'll stop playing as well. And it can be quite tough to convince a dog in a, in a confined environment in your house or rather in someone else's house right. to play with you when they're terrified. And I think that's why people default to food a lot of times, because you can be quite non-threatening with food. I can sit down on the sofa. I can take some treats. I can just toss them across the room. And over the course of 15, 20 minutes, maybe that dog starts getting more curious to me. And then maybe I can move on to play in, you know, eventually. And again, like that, that's the obvious content. That's, that's what everybody does. I, I cannot... Uh, uh, when I watch it, like I, I scroll away because there is nothing for me there. Um, play. So, so let's let's think. take that situation. What would you do though, okay. Ivan? Yeah, I, I will tell you. I will tell you. I don't. I mean, you have to understand. I have a school for dog trainers, and I, I, you know, it's my bread and butter. But I definitely am on your podcast, and I definitely know that everybody wants to know things. So I will give you some insights. Uh, at least to at least to open something in your brains uh, to to start to think a little different. But take um, I'll I will use a analogy. You take me as a kid from Bulgaria, <clears throat> which all I did was chasing dogs and play soccer on the street. And if we didn't have a soccer ball, we would play with a Coca Cola bottle or with rock for that matter, whatever. We would be kicking, we would know the rules and we would be playing soccer. If I am good at it, if I felt that I'm good at it and you throw me in the favelas by myself, not my parents, not my big brother, nobody, by the, in the favelas in Fortaleza or Rio de Janeiro or, or I don't know, Caracas, guess what will happen? I will be playing soccer that same hour I would not know language and all the kids will be very inviting playing soccer with me because of a skill and, and cooperation and play. This is where game cooperation and being, being good at the game plays a role. So when you have a, a dog that is shy, you don't just go into the dog's house and try to play. It's, it's like, since we were both interested in martial arts, it's not, you know, Makachev is in the room and it's like, come wrestle with me. I'm like, no, dude, like, are, are you going to teach me something or are you just going to ragdoll me? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. But imagine if Khabib or George St. Pierre or any of those geniuses taught me some skill and I felt that I had the talent and Makachi says, Hey, let's, let's roll. What do you think my, my response will be? You go, you go. So when you teach a dog that is shy, that's the, the value of competitive games. What I call it's a basically a, a tug of war type of games to where you teach the dog, how to be, how to win. It's not about left and right and up and down. It's about who will gain possession and then what happens after you gain possession. And then you know how I have this 
log slogan of make your dog somebody. This is what that is about. We have shirts for this. You you teach a skill, and it, when you want to make the dog somebody, it's not like they have to win every single time. That becomes boredom. There is no interest. There is no, you know, like when you have to, to uh, imagine we five of us are sitting in a, some sports arena and there is the the Lakers, the basketball team coming and, and their coach is like, hey, you guys want to play? We will be, fuck yeah. I mean, once in a life chance. And of course, they absolutely destroy us. We cannot make one, like one point, but we are super happy. I mean, it's a lifetime experience. But the next time they ask us to play, let's say the next Sunday, the guy, the coach comes, hey, you guys want to play? It's like, no, no, but we would love to be front row and watch them because they're that good. To create confidence, there has to be competition. And when you win, you don't win to where the dog is like, oh shit, I'm worthless and you're superior. But you win by this much to where the dog is like, if I try just that much harder, and now the dog starts to look into playing games. Now he plays with his owner, with his um, the, the one kid, the, the friend that he knows, to the point that now he really understands how he can win. He understands how he can play. And there is a big chance, and we have many videos that we watch at, at school, to where the dog has a toy and somebody comes and goes and says, hey, test me. See, I'm that good. Or the person comes and offers the game. So this is not something that you just throw in. As I gave you the example, Makachev says, hey, Ivan, let's throw. It's like, no, fuck no. They, they, there is a process, just as the kid, you know, like if I am not good at soccer and you throw me a, a, in the favelas, trust me, I, I, I would be out of place. But I would not know any language, but I know the language of the game and I know the rules and I know cooperation. These are these are unbelievably valuable skills of interaction with the world around you. Yeah. Well, Ooh. I think it's a principle that, uh, no, I, like, I don't find anything I can disagree with in that. Building a dog's confidence through games. It's fantastic. And I've, you know... It's brilliant. Although I will say we're hitting the two hour mark. And you remember, um, you remember in your podcast with Susan, Susan Garrett, where she didn't answer that question and everyone was really bothered by it. If we don't answer this dog daddy thing, Ivan, it's going to be that question that mm. never gets answered. And people are going to be like, Ivan was avoiding that question. So, so come on, what's, what's the deal with this, okay. this dog daddy situation? You have to tell me. All right. Uh, I'm telling you. I will tell you the reason why I wanted to go to explain Susan Friedman and, and Skinnerian behaviorism and Simeon Muller and, and, and everybody that I have in mind. And Zach George actually doesn't even come in this because he has no, he, he, he's a, a prime example of just internet person that uh, explores. Even, even though Ivan, even in our conversation, in your answer to this question, we spend all of the time yes. criticizing these people when we still yeah. haven't spoken about Dog Daddy or, or criticized yes. his stuff at all. Yes, because Dog Daddy, like it or not, is a product of where the environment of the dog industry is at the moment. 
he like it or not, he has followers. There is people that go to his workshops and they walk out of the workshops and they're happy. And I will explain why. But can you see how the one side created that or not? Because I will explain it now. Yeah, you're kind of saying like this is I, I really believe in this concept. Maybe, you know, it sounds a little hippy dippy, but like the whole yin and yang, you know, like you have the equal and opposite. And I, I think I get what you're saying. It's like the extreme positive has to be like it will be combated with an extreme negative as well. You know, however, I thought. I thought, Ivan, that you represented the middle ground. And even though you had spent so much time arguing against, uh, you know, the extreme positive side of things, mm -hmm. I think you've said it before yourself that you'll be very quick to criticize the extreme on the other side as well. And I think people felt like they didn't see that in your actions. Right. Because I'm not quick to criticize. I actually... I've learned lessons. I, I make, I still make mistakes. I'm, I'm, I can be compulsive and then I suffer. Um, but I have learned along my career not to, not to come up with a conclusion immediately. Um, how much do you know about him as far as his training, besides the, the little clips of, of him hanging dogs everywhere? How much do you know? Or would you know it's enough? Um, I would say it says a lot about him that that's what he decides to share. So mm -hmm. even even if Dog Daddy, and I, I don't think this will be true, but it was extremely considered off of TikTok, it's like, well, hang on a minute. Why are you presenting this? Like, this is the training method. Mm -hmm. Why are you presenting this to people that are going to emulate it? Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, to be honest, Ivan, I think it's worthy of being called out in the same way that you you spend so much time calling. It, it's just it, it's it. I think it just strikes people as hypocritical, Ivan, to really spend so much time criticizing the extreme positive stuff, and then you see the opposite on the other side, and you speak to them for three hours, and you never really question it. You know, you never really like push the person on on it. You know, and it, it just. It doesn't, that to me doesn't represent the middle ground. You know, it doesn't represent, look, I'm Ivan. I think we should be more, more uh, unified as a dog training community. And I think we should take a more sensible grown up look at dog training. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. it's like, well, I'm going to really going to criticize one side and I'm going to completely ignore the other. Yeah. And we, we haven't gotten to that point yet to, to where, I, I can give you my opinion of, of do I like him? Do I think this is the way to go? Is it not the way to go? Um, You're saying you don't know. You don't know if it's... No, it's not that I don't. I, I know I, I, I've I been in the business enough. Just as I said, I, it takes me 30 seconds to see who is blue belt and who is brown belt. It really takes me 30 seconds. He is the extreme of the other side. So if the one people say is fear-based, to him, every dog is flat out there to destroy you. And we don't care about what the reason is. We have to stop it. Does that go anywhere from there? What do you do from that point on? And even is that a, a, a good approach? 
I would want to see him train, um, but I know he doesn't have experience. I know that he's starstruck. Um, I cannot even speculate to say where his heart is. If he's, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't know. What he does with the dogs, there is no, there is no one size fits all. Yeah, and, but c- come on though, Ivan. I mean, I mean, does the size that we're seeing, does, does what Dog Daddy's showing apply to any dog? Because I, I don't see it. I see a lot of what, what we would call as sensible dog trainers, def- we would use what we see in a dog daddy video as defensive handling, right? I've got, I found myself in the situation where I've got the dog on the lead and the dog is trying to nail me. And mm-hmm. I, this is, this is not a training situation. This is me trying to prevent getting bitten, mm-hmm. right? So I have to hold the dog up at arm's reach and I, you know, I'm just trying to get myself out of this situation. That's classic defensive handling stuff, mm-hmm. except. When you watch a dog daddy video, that's not what he's using it for. He's taking the dog from the owner. He's he's just lifting the dog up into a situation where he's basically strangling the dog, pulling the dog around, and he's just as quickly as he possibly can creating a situation of learned helplessness in the dog, a situation where the dog is so fearful that they actually just shut down, and then he can label that as a result. And maybe for some people that is a result, but I don't think that's a result worth having. And I think anyone, Ivan, I I think this is where people get lost because I think anyone, regardless of positive or balanced, anyone Mm. with experience in the industry can see it immediately that this is, this is bogus. This is wrong. You know, it's just like, aside from any ethics about positive versus balanced, like anyone can say that this is just, this is just obviously wrong. And yet you seem really quiet on it and it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, Ivan. I, I, my first, my thought as well I, was, is do you see a bit of yourself in him considering his background of coming to America? You know, he's being criticized. I wondered if, if there's a bit no, of a no. personal connection here that is. No, no, not at all. As I said, I, I, I let the guy talk. Um, I am planning, like I am planning to actually do one of these solo kind of podcasts and uh, uh, say say what I have to say. Um, that's not how I train dogs. That's not how I recommend dogs to be trained. Um, but it's unfortunate that there is um, why Why do you think these people are going to him? Because I think they think that he's going to get them a result. I think it's as simple as that, really. Mm-hmm. Why does anyone go to any dog trainer? Because they're trying to, they're they're desperate and they're trying to get a result with their dog. Right. And so after they go, how many of them come out saying that this was a, a very bad experience for them and the dog? I think initially people with no knowledge and that have already signed up to go to a dog daddy thing are not going to know. They they're not going to understand what is going on they're not going to be able to understand what we're seeing in the in the same way that there was this whole controversy with caesar milan but i think dog daddy actually makes caesar milan stuff look tame you know uh, dog daddy kind of makes caesar milan look like you know look like ivan <laughs> you know like it's uh it's 
is so much less sophisticated. Um, do I think that any of those dogs are going to have long lasting results? Like, I think probably not. Like, certainly not considered, not yeah, compared to. That was a- not my question. That's clearly that will not happen. That clearly there is no need to even that to be discussed. But like, like my question is, and, and it's a question for myself too. And it, it was the reason why I got him on the podcast because, because if I, if I take my dog somewhere and I see three dogs before my dog being trained, I'm walking away if I don't feel comfortable. And I think we are as humans are capable of making those judgments. Um, so to be clear, I'm not defending him, but it's definitely of interest. Why are these people going and why they're staying through the seminar and why they're trusting him to take their dog away from them for a moment or more, whatever it is. This is really of interest. Do you think though people see the dog daddy the, on TikTok or whatever, they go onto his account, they see, hey, this guy's got 3 million, 5 million, whatever followers. This guy must really know what he's talking about. And and that's something that you probably feel the same way about Zach George, right? Like you probably feel like people have the same idea about Zach George. You go onto his account, they see all these millions of followers and they think that this person knows what they're talking about, right? But it probably doesn't help that then, and I'm, I'm sure that these, this doesn't really happen, Ivan, but then someone comes across your podcast with him. Hang on a minute. This guy's world. Cha- this guy's two-time world champion. This guy really knows what he's talking about. Okay, I listened to the podcast with with Dog Daddy. Well, he doesn't seem to disagree with anything that Dog Daddy's saying. So I, you know that, you know, like it just almost is lending to his authority. You know, versus if you would have done that podcast and and I'm not saying you have to be horrible to him, but you would have called him out a little bit. Like, you know, wouldn't, you know, you kind of, you make your position clear. Yeah. If if I call him out, he will have the same answer that he has all over the internet. There will be nothing different there. Right. Um, But you called out, you were happy to call out Susan Garrett. You're happy to call out me and our podcast. You're happy to call out Michael Shikashio. I I really didn't. Like, if you want me to call out Susan Garrett, like really to call Susan Garrett out, I can really call her out. If you want me to call Michael Shikashio out, I can really call Michael Shikashio out. I, I don't, I cannot call you out because I don't know much of what you do. But I know Susan Garrett. I, I know Susan Garrett very well what she does. I know what Michael Shikashio does. Um, like, like because I asked them questions, it, it didn't mean that I'm calling them out. I still let them talk. Um, but you, you gave, you, you challenged them infinitely more than you challenged the dog daddy, which I guess is what I'm getting at when I say call call them out. You you're challenging the logic far more. Yeah, it's you. You can just Ivan. There's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, I fucked up on this one." Like, I'm sorry, it got away from me. You know, there's nothing no, wrong with that. There is. It's as I said. I am. I am going to make a solo podcast on dog daddy. I am just not sure yet where I want to go with it. Um, as I said, I, I like to be able to have him and say whatever he wants to say. I like to be able to have Zach George come and say whatever he wants to say. Zach George doesn't want to come. 
I agree, but you just can't. You just it's you just can't have those two people on and give one person a really hard time and challenge their thoughts, which you should do. And I, I think you should do that. But I think you should not just do it to Zach George. I think you should do it to Dog Daddy too. I think they both should have equal treatment. You know. Yeah, I again and, and and those podcasts like it's not about being nasty or being horrible to anyone, you know. Like when we've we've will have done two podcasts now, and in between podcasts we talk. I, I like talking to you. I really enjoy talking to you, even though we disagree on things and we kind of debate and whatnot. Like there's still a it's still a positive experience, you know. So it's, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like uh, being being really nasty or trying to be horrible to anyone. I'm just talking, just challenging them, you know? It sounds like you're still thinking about this. No, I, don't, no. I feel like I'm ambushing you a As bit. As I, I said, you, you're not. I mean, this is not something... Listen, before I even decided to have him on a podcast, I know this is... All of this is to be expected. It's not a, you know... And 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 that's totally fine. I uh, wasn't against you having him on the podcast, though. But anyway, I wasn't one of those people that was like, hey, you shouldn't have him on the podcast. But I just understand. Yeah. But I, I, again, as I was thinking to invite him to the podcast, I I looked at all different uh, uh, nuances of where where it's going. And and yeah, everything is how I have no surprises of where everything is. He surprised me a little bit that he was talking a lot. I knew that if I ask him something, he's going to give me the answer that he gives that they are all all of his answers are everywhere. So for me, it was more important to just let it talk and say what he wants to say. Um, I don't want people to make decisions because I have made my decision of who I like and who I don't like. You gotta be able to, uh, um, again, recognize what is, uh, uh, what, 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 what is bringing the right the the you know advancement of of everybody and what is not um and we are clearly stuck um so he's going in one direction and others are going in a different direction and there is plenty in the middle that are doing the right thing um i said and i'll say it again i will never do what he does not because of anything else just because it doesn't like I, I look at dogs very differently and I don't think that, uh, um, you know, there is, uh, you, you can just do the same thing for, for whatever reasons you think you're doing. And, and, you know, there is no, there is just no well-taught process, even, even if we accept that, okay, well, a dog is coming at him, he's trying to stop it. And then, I asked him, I'm like, so what? He's like, yeah, I don't know. He, he did say that he doesn't have an answer or something like that. I don't know what he said. They're, they, whomever they are working on something or, um, but. Um, there was also some crazy shit that the dog daddy said as well. Like, so, you know, Zach George poisoned his dogs. Like, like yeah, I mean, what, that, that's, what do you want me? How do I know? Like, this is out of, this is absolutely none of my, like whatever they are doing between them, uh, you know, this, this is way beyond anything else. I'm, I'm not interested in any of that. Like, what is my place to that? No, 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 you know. Uh, if anything, I'm interested in sound dog training and advancement. 
Um, I, I don't see that there and I don't see that in many places. Um, that's okay. Look, I think we've covered that. That's, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, you have to, again, as I said, I, I'm going to be making something. I, I don't have it yet. I don't, I need to, I don't like to just speak. I, I need to be clear with myself what I want to say. I want to be able to articulate myself to where when I say something, I know that it has substance and I know that I know that everybody watches what I say. So at this point, I'm happy that everybody was able to actually listen to him for three hours, liking it or not liking it. But um, um, I, you know what? I'd love to see the uh, listener stats on that one because I, I bet the drop off rate was insane because yeah, that was I, a hard listen, man. That was, that was, it, it was, it was a monologue, as you said, you know, so right. it's tough to, tough to sit that one out. But, right. uh, but again, like when you say that I, I asked the questions to Susan or whatever, like Susan came to my podcast with that attitude that, I am this. She came ready for a fight. Neanderthal type of trainer that she knows from 30 years ago, and that she is some goddess of dog training, and she's going to teach me what dog training is about. And she's clueless. And I, I can break it down very easy, but I didn't. And I can, do you want me to tell? I can, now I'm a guest, I can talk. If you want, I can tell you uh, um, things. As a, as a podcaster, yes. As a as a human being, it seems a little sad. Like I don't understand why. Uh, I don't know what you mean when you say Susan Garrett doesn't know anything. You know, uh, she's she's an absolute legend in in agility. Right. You know. Right. Dog training has. Uh, you know. You know, you're you're a legend in the IGP world. She's a legend in in the agility world. No, I again, I'm a dog trainer, and I uh, uh, I, I don't care about IGP world. Like I'm not talking IGP world and I don't, I don't talk about her being legend in, in agility world. I'm talking animal learning. And again, she's stuck in, in kind of twisted Skinnerian behavior is where anything aversive is bad. This is the majority of the force free community. Anything aversive is bad. It's all punishment based training. And the sad thing about it is that none of these people have been really exposed to good training because negative reinforcement is beautiful thing, but they have handicapped themselves. They, it's really like you cut yourself a limb or two. Well, it's and funny. you become very good using your other limbs but you're still extremely limited. You don't understand how much benefits there are of like anybody that like, again, all the names that I keep saying and, and everybody else, when we talk about negative reinforcement, nobody understands what negative reinforcement really the benefits or how to do it or, or what it is about, including Skinner. Skinner has not played enough with negative reinforcement. I have played with 40 years with it. To be fair you to Skinner, though, game, he, you know, he, was, he was in the beginning, you know, like it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, comparing Usain Bolt to the early 100 meter runners. It's like that guy was coming up with the beginning, you know, like uh, and, and, and I think there's a difference 
as well, he's he wasn't a dog trainer, you know. Uh, his ideas have obviously gained massive popularity, and and rightly so, I think. Um, no, but right it's wrong. No, no, I. But Ivan is is this is everything isn't black and white, you know. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. Behaviorism doesn't solve everything. Therefore, behaviorism is rubbish. It's okay. Behaviorism doesn't solve everything. What other? What else can we add to this? We could talk about genetics. We could talk about epigenetics. We can talk about. Now listen. What to Let me tell you. Let me. It's just a very simple thing. Skinner says that punishment doesn't work. He doesn't. He doesn't reject that. Yeah. I don't believe that. the The definition of punishment. But written by Skinner, if I remember yeah, rightly, was yeah. it reduces the frequency of a behavior. So how does it not work? Yeah, that's that's like yeah. I don't. You're telling me Skinner and, and said the punishment. On moral grounds that he was against punishment. He did not believe that punishment works. Okay. He did not. It wasn't. So it wasn't that he effective. It wasn't that he didn't believe Just it worked. Susan Garrett. I mean Susan Friedman, for example, she would give a, a, a cool story and again i don't have no like i wish i can talk to these people because it will we will have very very interesting conversations but if you say that punishment has no place it wasn't that it didn't work it was an ethics thing then that's what you're no, saying no no i'm like with skinner it's very much not on moral and ethical grounds right but that's not that it, that's different from saying it doesn't work he states that it's not effective it's not, he's not opposed because on moral grounds. He's, listen, he, okay, I, spend, we're getting confused. Is, I spend my days and days and days on this. I have, this is like in, like anyone so can tell I'm trying now. to understand your point though, Ivan. My Are you point saying is that all the way from back then, there is a whole branch of science and branch of trainer that don't understand and don't appreciate the beauty of aversive. But, but it's, a very, it's a very different statement to say punishment doesn't work versus saying I don't want to use punishment because it's not ethical or it's not moral. No, I will say it again. Skinner has said it not once. It's, 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 it's like I'm, I'm going to have to be emailing things now unless you want to search it, because it's not hard to search it. I just don't understand, because literally the definition that Skinner gave was that punishment reduces the frequency of a behavior. Right. Therefore, if it doesn't reduce the frequency of a behavior, it's not a punishment. Right. So by definition, it's effective. So I just find that strange. That seems to contradict my... uh, the whole point of Skinner, you know? The the whole... Yeah, so, I mean, we can... can Okay, we'll have to take that's that one off. Stuck in a loop, but as I said, that's that's very easy. Okay, okay, that's no super easy. There is no Let's move on. <laughs> very, very easy. So you were saying same thing, like I'm saying that there is a whole branch of trainers and and a school of behaviorism which comes from the radical behaviorism that just have no understanding of negative reinforcement and and punishment because they haven't even they haven't even played with it. They My understanding. My understanding. Like when from- you're talking about, like, let's take errorless learning, for example. Okay. I know you have talked with, with plenty of people, and I know you have opinion on it. This is a rabbit hole I've been down many times. It's a horrible idea. It's a you horrible know- idea. And I will tell you, like, the, the whole idea of errorless learning, if it was good at the time, 
all university will be using it. Who is using it right now? Uh, uh, very mentally disabled people that it really kind of, I, I don't want to say it, I don't know how to say it, but it's, you know, it's almost like an activity for them. It's not like, it's not that they have to go to university where any complicated skill that you're going to be learning. There is no way Everest learning can bring you there. There is absolutely no way. Like mistakes, yeah. mistakes. I don't care what Kendra Miras will say. Provide critical, important feedback opportunities. Mistakes allow for reflection. Mistake is what it's all about. Uh, Errorless learning is just not suitable for any complex type of learning. The moment it gets a little bit, it doesn't involve any exploration. It doesn't involve really problem solving because you don't recognize that it's a problem solving if it's done in, in the way because there's two ways that you can do it. And the one way is that, yes, they can make mistakes, but they don't understand that they're making mistakes. And that's also a big faulty. Because when you when you hit a problem and you solve a problem, guess what? You foster this kind of resilience. There's motivation. You're like, fuck, I can take on challenges. And this is a big deal. Um, imagine, imagine a game of PlayStation or Xbox or whatever, and, and you never die. How many people are going to play that game? The only reason people lose their jobs and families is because they keep dying. Okay, let me let me kind of talk about this a little bit. Firstly, it, it makes me laugh. I love the passion coming out of you right now, Ivan. It's energizing me. It's brilliant. Um, and and you need That's to give me a cigars. <laughs> you need to give me a short answer to this. This isn't an invitation to go off on one of your rants. Do do you agree? in the concept of setting the dog up for success. I, and, and I know you, regardless of the answer you give me, Ivan, I know you do, because you what you were telling me about the IACP conference, your whole talk was about setting up the environment, right? Right. S setting the dog up to succeed, essentially. Right, I'm not right. saying there's no challenge. I'm not saying that. But that's, so, and, and that so was... I don't need to answer that. So, so what is okay. the question? Okay, okay. So don't shoot, don't shoot the dog. That was in in the don't shoot the dog book, where it's like we need to set the dogs up to succeed. Now the thing with errorless learning is they it's the same concept flipped on its head. With the set your dog up for success thing, we're concentrating on the success. With the errorless learning, we're putting the focus on the errors, trying to minimize the errors. Okay. So so, so the problem with errorless learning is. Um, I, I think it puts the focus in the wrong place. I think we should work. It's more productive, ironically, because you know people think of themselves as positive reinforcement trainers, and yet they're focused on the errors. I think it's it's more productive to focus on setting the dog up for success and then increasing criteria like that. To talk to talk about your analogy of the place. Sorry, hang on, hang on. Oh, sorry. So, I think it's more more productive from a human psychology perspective to focus on setting the dog up for success as opposed to putting all of your focus on how many errors did the dog make in a session, right? Um, to go to your PlayStation analogy, okay? The PlayStation, you're not going to win every time, obviously, or it will be boring. But it goes up in difficulty, right? You don't start with the end boss because if you put the end boss at the beginning of the game, the, you're going to play the game, you're going to lose 50 times, and you're going to be like, ah, this is shit, I'm, I'm going to stop playing, right? 
where you increase in difficulty gradually over the course of the game. The the early missions are going to be challenging, but not so challenging that you want to give up. And I and I think no, that I'm is sure. well, it's uh, you cannot do that though, because um, uh, okay, so of I, course I, the criteria goes up, but there is no you can avoid the fact that you die. You Ivan, when you when you play you clearly die it, it clearly tells you that yes. you made you really fucked up yes there is no question about it. and that's not what errorless learning is about errorless learning again there is two options but the better most kind of accepted option at least in the dog training world is that yes they're making mistakes but they're not we're trying to design it in such a way that they don't even catch that they're making mistake we keep plugging along making the mistake again motivates when it's when it's the right mistake just as i said with the with playing a possession game and you win but you win with this much that's where you raise and that's when you manipulate criteria this is very important but to to, to guide somebody to tell them that they are not losing that they didn't make an error like i don't actually disagree with you this is this is actually the position i found myself in ivan on your podcast and like I think we kind of agree and we're just we're arguing and agreeing at the same time because I don't disagree with you about errorless learning. I don't think that this is no. I think this is a is like a silly put place to put your attention to be honest. I think in dog training you you need the dog to have enough success that they're motivated to continue and and that's essentially all there is to it. Right? You want the dog to to want to keep playing the game. Right? right? And and I guess where errorless learning starts to, there starts to be more debate where it's like, well, how much frustration is acceptable? You know, is it that the dog just continues to play the game? Is that just acceptable? Or do I need to minimize the frustration in the learning process? And maybe there's a conversation to be had there. But again, that's super meta. I'm not, I don't know. I just, this is the kind of conversation I got into back years ago. And you just get bored of it very quickly. There is a trial and error, and error is just super, super important. What kind of error is very important because, again, you don't want to be discouraged, but you clearly need to know that you make an error. Again, errorless learning would have been taken off from the 50s or whatever it started. Like you watch them on YouTube with this little primitive. Like there's a version of it machine. though there is a there is not totally without merit ivan if you go and if you're trying to learn a language and you go on duolingo right you when you start off on duolingo it's extremely easy right and but you're right it does still tell you when you make an error right but but the but they're trying to set you up to succeed right cool. they show you the picture of the bread and you've got a put bread in or whatever right it's just like so easy and then as you play the game it gets harder and harder and harder so it's not totally without merit but it immediately I, tells you that you made an error yeah sure immediately. and i agree there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that the, the reason i brought the trial and error and the reason the same reason is why the force free community doesn't really uh, want to look into the games i play as you were curious about. Hey, I, I, well, maybe I'm not part of the force free community anymore. It is. No, I'm not, I'm not putting you in any different. I'm, I'm just talking. We're just talking. But yeah. the, the reason is because it's very easy when, when you have the force free knowledgeable person talk ABC, antecedent behavior 
consequence. It's very false. We so misrepresented because when we think about antecedent behavior and consequence, they always want you to think about rainbows and unicorns. The other consequences are never their bad idea. And that's very wrong. When you have rules, rules are broken. There are consequences for breaking rule. Punishment doesn't mean abuse. Like this is what everybody's trying to, like this is why we are so uncomfortable to say oh, I agree. white I... loud punishment. Punishment. Yeah. <laughs> punishment. It's like, like you're saying the N-word or something. Like it's ridiculous because it does not mean abuse. Negative reinforcement. Take up any game. What is there is a British game? Take oh, hope chance. Wipe out or whatever it's called. Uh, Have I'm you seen sure it? Which, I'm not sure what you mean. It's with the, the kind of like the you know they walk through obstacles and get. Oh yeah, you're on about to, to, total wipeout. Yeah, what it's a game that? show. Everybody yeah. loves it. Yeah, kind of like Ninja Warrior or any of those kind of shows. No, it's not quite like Ninja Warrior is more of a challenge, fitness and and coordination and different skill. This is pure negative reinforcement and punishment game, which is many different games like that. Like in Wipeout, you have the one where the guys have to walk by the wall and there is boxing gloves coming in all sorts of directions and you either dodge it or you get punched. (laughs) <laughs> the next level of that is to go into actual boxing match. It's still like most beautiful games are based on negative reinforcement. There is something in our nature. We are programmed to challenge ourselves. It's a very good feeling. Like even, even when you take a dog that's looking at the fire hydrant and somehow there is a plastic bag that's stuck there on the from the wind, and they're like, shit, what the fuck? But they cannot leave it alone. They're trying from this side, from this, they just cannot walk away from it. There is something about it that it's, I understand that, I use it, just as I was explaining with the game. But again, a whole branch of, of trainers and science completely disregards the beauty and twists like like it's, it's such a sad misrepresentation of what uh, um, the benefits of, of challenge and motivation and and you know one thing one thing I that frustrates me about you Ivan is I think you have so much knowledge and so much stuff to share and and I think you were talking earlier about like I know you didn't use these words but like the yin yang of dog training in terms of you know you have you have this like opposite, you know, you have the extreme positive like movement and then you have like the, the opposite response. And, and I'm not saying that you're like extremely punitive or anything like that, but you're, you're kind of a response to that in some ways, you know, like, uh, you know, your, all of your efforts go to, or not all of them, but a lot of your efforts go to combating the extreme positive types. And I, and sometimes as someone that is a fan, it's, mm-hmm. it's frustrating because it's like, Ivan, I, Ivan, I don't want to talk about the extreme positive types. I want to talk about your play training. I want to talk about like, what makes, like, how do you train? Like how, like, I really want to get to the like substance and, uh, Training so some, involves negative reinforcement. Sometimes as a fan, and I find this on your, on your podcast as well. It's like, frustrating it's like 
you know, I want to hear the substance, you know, I don't, you know, like I know, I know you're, fr- I get it. I know you're frustrated about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want, I, I want to hear about your play training and what exactly, it, you know, I want to get to the nitty gritty. Because part of my, like, again, I, I have the passion is because somebody that does not understand pretends to understand and is trying to take away something of extremely high value beneficial to any dog and any trainer and that is frustrating i get it we like we again i mean i i'm we're gonna be making a bunch other studies um i've tried to talk to erica forbacher i sent her emails like you know what i have I don't know who that is, Ivan. So, who, mm-hmm. who is that? Erica Feuerbacher. She, she, she's a PhD. She's kind of uh, she. She has a a very big push right now on. She she gives presentation on electric or shock collar and prong collar uh, and how bad they are and any aversive how bad they are. And she's coming from position as she's a. Uh, you know, she has the authority and the PhD behind it. And and she's very incorrect and it's very frustrating because uh, like even like not to not to accept to talk about it, it's very, very frustrating. Um, it, it's just not correct because people listen. People, when you have somebody that like, let's say the veterinarians, the ABSAB people in American Veterinary Surgical, like they're they're again they're veterinarians they they do take some courses i i watch their courses i am everywhere i i am very interested in anything and i take anything that's a value and uniqueness stop it um and when i go through their webinars when i go through their textbooks and when i see what they're learning and when I see what they are teaching young veterinarians that are going to come out and they will come out very strong knowing that they have actually put the time and they have put two years in this and they feel extremely confident that they know more than me. So let's talk about the solution to this then, because That's I, I think I think there are the extreme people on the other side, I would say dog daddy, and then you have the extreme people on the positive side, I would say dog daddy too. Again, the, I don't approve of what he's doing. Okay, I don't okay, think he okay. knows what he's doing. Okay. And then you have the extreme people on the positive side who can't accept that there is any place for an aversive. And when we're talking about aversives or punishments, you know, you can have a conversation about what punishments you find to be acceptable or not, but punishment can be anything as simple as a timeout, taking the toy away from the dog, there is clearly a place for a punishment, you know, a place for punishment in, in dog training. Yeah. You know, just right. Yeah. So so that then there's there's those of us in the middle that can accept that there is place for punishment in dog training. And maybe some of us disagree about what those punishments can should or shouldn't be, right? And maybe there's some discussion there. How can we how can we solve the issue that you're talking about then? Uh, you know, with your frustration with the people that can't accept that as an argument and are pushing for the tool bands and all the rest of it. Um, you know, how can you shift that mindset? You know, do you, obviously it seems even like you're quite involved. Yeah. 
you're quite involved with the IACP. Do you see associations as being part of the answer to that or or not really? No, not really. Um, I think, um, again, I mean, you know by now and everybody knows I, I have such a strong opinions and, and they go both ways. And um, I, I, I don't want to say uh, IACP or APDT or any of them, all of them, absolutely every single one of them. If you get invited to present at the conference, you're immediately given some sort of credibility, legitimacy. And you can say some very dumb shit to people that are there to learn. And, and, and this is a huge problem. To me, the only way to go forward is to be able to talk to each other. And the reason I'm frustrated, and I would not be frustrated if I have an opportunity to talk. And if you, you know, like... I've been convinced I have accepted many things in my life as, as being wrong. Like it's everybody can be right and everybody can be wrong. But but at some point we have to accept if the there is no flat earth. I mean, seriously, there is no flat earth. Like we in our time. Doesn't know what, sorry? The flat earth. Flat earth. Earth. The globe is flat. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay. Right. Yeah. You know, like we, we just cannot be this way. No, I understand your frustration. It's just, I don't know. It's just and sometimes it's, it's like. It's affecting very much where we are going. Yeah, I get it. I don't want us to become Europe. I don't want to be where you guys are in England right now. There is no reason for anybody to be there. There is really yeah. no reason. Like we can, we can actually talk this through including all the studies that we talk about. Like, again, I, I spend so much time. I, I talk to, like, this is all I do. Like, I can cite you all the studies and I can... I think what you... Because, you, I mean, I think you've only really teased this, but my impression is that you are trying to get a little bit more involved in the science with Clive Wynn, right? No, we've done. I mean, there is no... Listen, <laughs> when you use punishment to stop predation it am i wrong or you just can't talk about that hmm? am i wrong that you're about your collaboration with clive or can we just not talk about that uh we we have done study it's gonna come out we're doing more things and i'm doing some more things with others um i think that i think and i i know you say hey there already is science but i think the science on e-collars especially is pretty like I don't think there's a lot of science on e-collars in either direction. And I think that if you, I think that would be one way of making it quite hard to make the argument against e-collars would be to have science that backs up your point, right? And, and, and I say this as someone that doesn't use e-collars. back up my point. Even if we have, let's say, let's say we have 100% success on the electric collar and 100% failure on the positive reinforcement in a study. That would not be enough. There's no question that will be enough. It won't be enough for some people, that's for sure. You know? But... Because some people don't we, object we, to it on, on effectiveness grounds. They object to it on moral grounds. Right. You know? But when you... Like, if we are talking Lima, 
which now they're even trying to take this out. Now, uh, yeah, I thought that Eduardo was really Fernandez, which I'm also, he keeps promising that he will come to a podcast. Hopefully he does. He's working on, on presenting the study and he's working on a book and, and they're going that route now to where even Lima is uh, out of the question at this point because it has element of aversive, even if it's at the end of the game. This is the, the worst thing. Like when, when we're talking uh, functional analysis and stuff, like sometimes I have 40 years of experience. I don't need functional. I can just tell my dog, you don't do that. Yeah, actually, just, I, just I agree with this. Just that. Please, yeah. we don't need to sit on a couch and spend five years on it. Really, I totally agree. And, and I think that's something that was missed by ideas like Lima and stuff like that is when you do have a lot of experience, you know which direction is going in. And I understand... And when you system- sorry to interrupt, and when you don't have experience, just leave it alone. Like, don't, don't fuck with it. Because mm-hmm. there are times... Ty- I, I, like, for example, like, for me, there are obvious examples in pet dog training. You know, like, when it comes to attention-seeking barking, you know, comes up a lot in pet dog training. For me, personally the go-to immediately my first port of call once i'm sure that it's attention seeking barking and it's not something else i'm gonna use timeouts personally because i i have very high success with that and i know that it works very effectively and it works very quickly Mm -hmm. i always say to my client if you have to do this for more than a week we need to talk because something's going wrong Mm -hmm. right i don't think that that's like you know i don't think that's anything horribly aversive or anything like that but it takes away the thing that the dog wants which is your attention and by the way alongside that we can do differential reinforcement we can start teaching the dog hey if you want my attention bring me a toy or whatever we can do those two things at the same time if we if we so want to you know um and that's where that's where i get frustrated with with the extremely positive side of things is i i I really think they would they would not like that yeah you know we, we, where we are in terms of knowledge, all around knowledge in dog training, we absolutely can be effective, timely, and ethical, which are the three important things. If we, if we promise somebody that we're gonna fix it, something in 10 months from now, they will go to dog daddy. That's what's gonna happen. If we, tell somebody that we're going to exhaust all other options and then with something, or if we're going to play with something that is not effective because some ideology prevents us from anything else. And I'm not talking one way or the other because there is many reasons, sometimes positive reinforcement to be the thing. And I teach in my school, uh, like, again, I, I am an extreme master of positive reinforcement, of differential reinforcement procedures. Um, I, I would not be who I am in my career if I didn't fucking know how to uh, uh, reinforce. Like, this is ridiculous. Let's talk a little uh, bit about that, Ivan, though. We both like uh, MMA, like you mentioned that earlier. In MMA, there is always this discussion of who is the GOAT? Right? Do you is the, is there someone that comes to mind, or or do you think that you're that person? Who is who is the best? Yeah, I don't know. I actually, it, I don't are, think this is a, a. Are there people that stand out to you like they should be in the conversation? Um, I think everybody that has proven to be 
uh, um, having legit success, uh, um, like extreme success, like the literally the one percent of the one percent in any dog area, sports, service dogs, anything. We need to have. We need to come together. That's what needs to happen. You know, like in MMA, people will have. A debate they say you know some people think it's anderson silva some people think it's gsp some people think it's and it's, that's why it's it's a it's kind of and i just but i just wondered that. who who do you think should be in that conversation um well i i mean i need to think about it because it's a i think it's very easy to pick from the hunting world successful people it's very easy to you know like you, you just look at people that have done it long enough and have been successful and that have unique skill something that they will bring to the table that is not going to be obvious content or if it's obvious content they will at least have non-obvious solutions they don't need to be creators of a category but they at least have to have an uh, uh this is this is where the minds this is where it gets interesting and it's i don't think it's hard even with with guide dog trainers and and so on like i got so excited when you had the uh, whatever his name was. Uh, Matthias Lenz. Right. Uh, but I didn't, like, when I looked at the title, I'm like, boom, okay. But I didn't know that he was more into the breeding part, which, of course, is interesting. I've, I've done, I mean, I, I breed dogs since, like, 40 years. So, and, and I was very familiar with the guide dog program, how training was and how selection was and and the success rates and all that. Um, and, again, like like my my position always is that genetics and selections far more important than I, I don't disregard the environment, but uh, you can do so much with environment. You see this in sports, right? Like you see, it's I don't know everything. if yeah. I don't know if you notice if when you're looking at people's records in in sports, do you take that into account? If someone's, for example, they've went won world titles but they've only won world titles with one dog versus someone that's done it with two dogs done it with three dogs does that make you does that kind of is that something that you pay attention to yeah i mean just like with with songs you know you can't have the one hit song that's not that's a the stars aligned for you good for you congratulations it's still admirable um but again um that that's that's not uh and again, that I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone because I'm saying it this way. Um, it's very, very hard. Sometimes when I'm looking back, I'm like, how in the world is like I remember with the dog that I won, it's a dog that I bred, the dog that I trained by my own, in my own system, not taking anything else, just my creation. And I won the Malinois Championship here. I won the Albright Championship here. I won the Albright Championship World Championship. I won the Malinois Belgian Shepherd World Championship for in the same year. And I won with him a few other things prior to. And then I was like, okay, I'll do what George St. Pierre did. I mean, what else is to do? What, what do I do? I, I want to ask you about this. Or I play second or, or what does it matter at this point? So that, that's kind of... Um, but wait, wait, wait. So you, when you say I did what George St. Pierre did, what are you thinking of? Because I might be thinking of something different. I in, in the same year, yeah. I won every single championship, including the two world championships. Okay. This is this is, you know, it's not like next year or two years later or it's, it's like, hey, 
here. One thing I thought was really cool, but I can only see, it doesn't seem like it was a project you pursued further. And this is just maybe because I'm an MMA fan, so I kind of like, this is how I think, and I just kind of appreciate it. But just after you'd won all of those world championships, you went to the WUSV with Apache. Right. And I just think, I, we had this conversation the other day when I was saying no one's won FMBB, FCI, and WUSV. I don't know if that was in your mind. I don't know if you're thinking, hang no. on, like, no. No, no. I Again, I, I like to... I, I like competition, but again, uh, my heart really is in dog training. I need dog training. Um, I, have I should explain for people that don't know IGP, the WUSV is the German Shepherd Championship, yeah. and Apache was a German Shepherd. And it was so a show, like a really big-time show-line German Shepherd with weird angulations and whatever. It just, but he was a, it was a very, very cool dog. I got him, I, I was in Brazil doing seminar and he was in the seminar and the people were like, oh, there is this dog, I check him out, it's not, I don't think he wants to do anything. And as I said, I I know how to twitch, I know how to wake up what's inside and and within three days, you know how they are, they're so like, like emotional Latin kind of people. They're clapping, jumping, so excited. Everybody watching him just grow every session. At the end, I really like him. And I'm thinking, well, the guy that owns him, he, he really didn't care about him. He was so, basically, he was like, I don't even know if I should bring him to the seminar or I bring my real dog and whatever. So at the end of the seminar, I'm like, dude, I can take him. I'll pay you some money. It's like, he's not for sale. Now, now, now the stakes were up <laughs> and I, and then I went home and I was like, man, there was a very cool dog. So I kept giving him more and more and more money until finally he said, okay, I'll let you have him. And I, I, like, he was, uh, he was the dog out of all dogs at the house that whenever I would go away, um, my girlfriend at the time, she would, um, that was the dog that would be with her at nighttime. Like he, he knew what to do. He, he, he makes you feel safe. Um, but yeah, like the, the idea with Kenny, which was the, the world champion. And before that, I, I played second with the youngest dog probably ever. I think he was not even, he was like two and a half and he was, Five champion by one point, which is always, you know. So, and I, I, besides those things, I've done a lot. Like I, when I was at Guide Dogs, I will tell you how good of a trainer I was. Like I, these are funny stories because um, I, I always, when I teach at school, I, I always bring them to, to my students. Because when you train dogs, you nobody cares what you can do with someone else's dog when they give it to you for training that training has to be whatever you're going to do it has to stick so that person can do it not you nobody cares about you and i learned this in in guide dogs because uh when i can when i went there i like they would give like there is two preliminary tests and then final and Man, I, I had the most success rate from from in the whole school. Like I had A's and B pluses of pretty much all the dogs that could make it, besides the ones that have to fail. 
But then class time comes and students come and and somehow my dogs are just not making it well. They they end up graduating everything at the end of the day happens. But there is a lot of unfinished work that had to be kind of done during the training with the with the blind people that are already at the door. And as this was happening, I would watch the more older guys that are training. And I'm like, man, these guys, man, they're just, and they were of course kind of older, like my age now, you know, and I was young just full of like, oh, dog training, you know? And I watched them on the street with the dog and they're like, just look like so miserable. I'm like, man, just change your job, like fucking do something else. Until finally, you realize after a certain time that you have to, you have no choice but act, have these multi-personalities and not as different people would act. Like you you have to tell the dog, make a left turn and the dog's not going to make a left turn and you have to act like not a trainer. And you've kind of got to convince them a little bit and then so on. And it's a give and take. And it's a, you know, it's a whole different skill that is so valuable for, for um, when, when you train dogs. And I don't know where I was going with this, but. No, it's interesting. The other like moment of your life, which I think is interesting is when you were at San Francisco SPCA. And like, when we look at back at that time now, it seems like there was like it seems like that must have been a pretty special place because you had Gene Donaldson there, you had Ian Dunbar, like was involved in that as well, right? So like it seems like there were a lot of names that came out of that that place. True. So so Young Young was before me and before Gene. Young Young was before us. Then I I kind of knew him because uh, he had a girlfriend that. She was doing IGP with the Rottweiler at the time. And so we were for sure crossing paths quite a bit and talking, talking dogs in a very organic way, which was cool. Uh, with Jin, we never, we we were, you know, I mean, it, it's oil and vinegar, apple oranges. Like we, we just cannot, um, she, she never had the desire to, to even find out like she she came with the attitude that she's superior and that her way superior and 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 everything that we do is horrible without even without even looking at one time you know very disheartening in a way um, yeah, that's I, interesting so you guys just never really go on no no not at all i i i um eventually i mean i was getting so successful so i, I probably would have left the SPCA anyway just because I I couldn't manage anymore the private lessons and seminar invitation and stuff and, and you say you say anyway there does that so is that what led you to to leave that well, place? part part of it was uh, again the frustration that I still have and, and that is um we used to when we would take dogs like I I was responsible to go to animal care and control, evaluate dogs and decide which dogs we can rehabilitate and make them adoptable. Um, and we had a very, very good success rate. Like we had very little dogs and, you know, that was, SPCA was already a no-kill shelter at the time. Um, 
these were interesting times because that's when the Marine Humane Society, you know, they they started to invite so many people from England and whatever. And like I, I was always in the workshops and seminars. It was, uh, you know, um, but anyway, with the when when Jean came, basically we change the way we what we can do. So when you change what you can do, you know that certain dogs will not be able to uh, um, to be helped. And and the sad part of it is that um, I can talk about this, but when you look on paper, and this is this is the shelter environment even today. Like I, I I'm I'm quite involved with with rescue groups and shelters uh, still because again it's interesting, but when you look back into the statistic, you still would see very high success rate in adoption. But what you don't see is on the intake, the the selection of which dogs were able to come in changed dramatically to where I would look at dogs that are just strong, active, rambunctious teenage dogs that nothing wrong with them. And we would not take them. Um, and that that kind of, you know, but it was so bad between, and I don't know, I, I'm sure maybe I was also just as a big part of that as she, but we never, like we, we would rarely even say hello or walk. I, I don't remember even walking by each other. Maybe we even avoided that, who knows? And is that because like you were known for being like more of a balanced trainer? She was known for being more right. of a raw based. Right. Like even at that point in time. Oh yeah. I think she was uh I think she was already working on the culture clash. And I mean she came, yeah, I mean, uh um yeah, that that was uh you know. And so really it, it's uh anytime somebody says, Well, I I was one of those trainers. And now I know better and, and so on. It's like, you know, it, I mean, you go to a, a dentist's office 40 years ago and go to a dentist's office today, or you drive a car 40 years ago and drive a car today. Anything you do 40 years ago, you cannot just say that the whole car industry is sucks and I will never drive car again because of the experience I had with that car in, in 1972. This is just mind boggling. Um, I know this is a bit of a sideline, Ivan, but I know obviously you're known as a Malinois guy, but weren't you also really into Yorkshire Terriers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a, so that's a cool story. I, Again, he he was a dog. There were two, brother and sister. They were six months old. They come for training. And the reason they come for training is because he beats upon the sister. They went through, and this is like what, like, I think that was maybe 2006 or some five, whatever. And the woman, she, she really tried to do the right things, anything that she can to, to help them. She, you know, has this two cute little dogs. And I mean, imagine two very active, happy Yorkies, six months old, which is so cool. But he gets too happy and then he beats her up. He doesn't like, but he definitely kind of puts her in place for no apparent reason, just because. So she did, uh, uh, she went to uh, 
veterinarian behaviors. They went to prescription. They went to uh, psychotropic meds. He came with the psychotropic meds. And he's six months old. It's heartbreaking. Without, with, with one consultation that you go and you pay $400 for 45 minutes and you walk out with a prescription. That's not what it's about. Not in humans, not in kids, not in dogs, not in anybody. That's just wrong. We we took them, uh, we weaned them off. I mean, it took like a, we had to do it far more gradual, but we did it within a month uh, off of the meds. And of course, they they they, they got it. All, all they needed was some, some kind of, Somebody had to be having some roles and, and kindness like, hey, you guys are the dogs. And it's like this dogs don't go this way. There's, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, like really nothing crazy. But meanwhile, we play because that's what we do. And now they both are like this super into it. Like you tell him down and he just, she cannot just down. She's like, oh, and, and just doing crazy stuff. I have a video of him playing ball. And sometimes I would give him one of those kind of, not the hard plastic because they're horrible for dogs to play with the teeth, but a bigger ball that he cannot bite, but still soft rubber ball. And I have a video of him like 40 minutes just doing crazy things with it and just loving life. Short story now that he's not short anymore. I'm like talking to the woman. I'm like, listen, I'm totally in love with the thing. And I know it's going to work, but I also know that it still can go sideways just because I know, I know you, how you treat them and how, you know, like it's going to kind of creep all in back again. And of course we're going to fix it, but you have a one, you know, his good hands, she sees him happy and everything. Somehow I convinced her she gave it to me. <laughs> and and yeah, he was coming. I, I would take him anywhere to seminars with me, like I mean, Europe, anywhere. Like he would go in this little bag until he mastered. He he became an expert of going through the little mesh when I'm sleeping. Eight hour flight, right? And next thing you know, the whole plane is so happy because they're just <laughs> passing you by everybody. <laughs> And it was the time that the, the flight attendants weren't like put it back in or whatever. They, there was some, it was cooler times. So it was before whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I like them. Now, now I am getting a new little dog. It took me, so he had a very horrible autoimmune disease, like the, the white blood cells. And he had to have blood transfusions and eventually... It just couldn't, we had to euthanize because, uh, yeah, it became very, very bad. Um, but it took me a few years until very recently. And it was a poodle cocker spaniel mix, which there is a name for it, of course. But Cock I can think something. Cock right? yeah. Most yeah. common dog over here right now. Dude, like... I love the dog. Like I, I sold the dog. I sold the Mali not to, for somebody as a protection dog. And then their family member have this little dog, two years old and just full of herself, a female, like she will puke her food 
so she can guard it. Yes, this is the biggest problem we're seeing with them actually right now. Lots of resource guarding in cockapoos. But also like like she would sleep in the bed and you try to turn around and she just watches on you on the street like anything. I mean, she was like a little Kujo, like, like a gremlin, but so cute and bad at the same time. That makes it super cute. For me as a trainer, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, of course, we we took it for training, and it was a very, very simple thing. Like you know, we taught the dog to play. I have I'm I'm about probably in the next couple of days. I have the videos, and I don't have much to do in the next few days, so I'm gonna make that video of footage of you know what the dog was about and and how the dog went home, and now I'm following up just to make sure that things are good. Um, but but really, um, teach him to play. Um, tell him no. Like sometimes just saying, Dude, this is just wrong, like what you're doing. And if you insist that you're going to keep doing it, there will be some consequence. And if you keep insisting, the consequences may go a little bit more. And they don't have to. And And... I can only imagine the prescription of either side, go daddy or somebody on the first three, where would take that training, which was really a dog that just like a, just like a happy kid that has absolutely no rules and, and almost feels out of place because he just doesn't know what to do with itself. And so, I, I am so in love with that dog that they, they're sending us pictures and videos almost daily. And we call the breeder to, to get one, but she uh, is not breeding them anymore because uh, the female had some complication the last time and whatever. So, but we're, I'm, I'm getting a little dog. So I'm super happy that uh, finally I, I have the, you know, cause after the Yorkie, it was a, uh, like he's still on my, like, you know, like if you see my screensaver, he's still on my screensaver. You know, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, yeah, that's, he wow, does, that was really you know. special, uh, really right. special to you. Right. Yeah. I, it's not a Malinois. <laughs> no, I know what you mean because we have two small dogs as well. And I think some people, like, I feel like there's this real, like, you're either a little dog person or you're a big dog person and you're supposed to hate each other or something. And, I really, I love small dogs and I love big dogs. And I think oftentimes they kind of bring something else to the table because with a little dog, you can like, you can take them places with you and it's really easy and, right. uh, you know, it's really convenient and they're awesome. But then with a big dog, you can do sports like IGP and you can, right. you know, you can get a little bit more into playing in a, in a kind of different way. So I think they, there's just like, I, I just love them all. And I, yeah, I, I'm the same. Like people, a lot of times, especially friends that haven't been around me much yet and either come to my house or just kind of get to know me more privately, they realize that I, I, I'm not a Malinois guy. Like I, of course, I admire them and everything, but I, I like dogs. As like, I, I would look at any dog and I'm like, yeah, you, you know, I like it. And um with um is there a breed that you don't own that is like i would really like one of those there's too many there's got to be a couple on the there's got to be a couple high up on that list 
So the highest priority right now is that. Of course. You know, um, but yeah. you would have thought. <laughs> yeah. thought. Yeah. Um, man, it's hard. Like, I, I really, you know, like, I don't look at dogs as a, like, it's the personality. It's kind of like with people. I don't care what race you are. I don't care how much you weigh. Like, I either like you or I don't like you. And it happens pretty quickly. I think, I think, I don't know. I think all of us are kind of this way, but don't want to admit it somehow. Or maybe, maybe, no, I don't know. But I like, um, like for me personally, maybe this will help you. Like, um, I was, I was really quite tempted to get a Rottweiler for my next dog until I got Onyx. Like I, they're really high up on my list. I like, I just really like, I just really gel with them. Mm -hmm. I really like them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it also depends where you are, you know, like, like right now, I tell you, so back at home and hopefully one day you come to visit me. I mean, I have like, I'm living in a country, I have 10 acres, like I open the door and they all walk out and run like many others. And, And now I am in a in a little apartment and we have to go pee on a leash uh, you know i have to go and take him out to a certain place where we can open up and and um you know i think there is so many considerations people have to make and um right now i'm really appreciating the how fortunate i am to be where i am oh, i get it um when, when I spoke to that you... It also makes difference, you know, because when you even when you like the right dog that you like, if you cannot provide, it's not fair, right? Of course. Um, yeah. That's what you know. told me. After, that's what you told me when I, I asked for your advice at the very end of our podcast. Mm. And you said, you need to do something with the dog. You need to give them a purpose, essentially. Yeah, it's so important. One thing... One, one thing I also felt from you after that Susan Garrett podcast is I felt like you were really frustrated that she hadn't like, uh, like took the time to understand you more in terms of your training. Um, and I just wondered if there was anything else you'd like wish people would ask you about. I don't know if I do. Like I, I, I probably did at one time, but I don't think I do anymore simply because, uh, of having my dog training school for dog trainers, because now I am completely fulfilling that. Like I, I know that I contribute. I know that uh, there is people that want to, like you have to have the other side to want to listen. If the other side doesn't want to listen, there is no point, right? Um, I'll give you an example, like, and again, I, I'm gonna speak broadly, not necessarily just for her. And it goes back to behaviorism, like, like, and even though everybody talks about emotions, kind of modern thing to do right now, um, I am, I am a very, very big on pairing certain emotion with certain behaviors. And I consider myself a, a master of doing this and recognizing what needs to be, um, like, okay. Give, give me you an, know, example. an example of that. So let's say, damn, I said I'm not going to give you Susan an example, but I, here I am. I have, well, okay. Here it goes. So let's say, you know how you have, um, like Susan Garrett advertises her crate games. Many force-free trainers would play game, go in, come out, treat, and, and so on. 
right? You know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about, yeah. Now, on the other spectrum of trainers, they would go with low stem and go in, come out, go in, come out, right? Both dogs have very different emotions, very different feeling attached to what they're doing at the moment. So when you do crate games, the way she wants, the way she is excited, and, and many are, for me, is counterproductive because it really becomes a game that it's not a hard thing to do. You can teach anybody and any dog to like to go in and out of the crate or, or a dog bed. But what you are not doing is you're creating the wrong emotional state. You're creating, okay, I'm in when I'm coming out. So you're creating this expectation thing. Or you're, if you're doing low steam conditioning, the dog goes in and now he feels safe that he escaped and he's ready to escape again to come out and so on. Again, very uncomfortable uh, emotional state. But if you consider that a dog bed or a crate is something as it's my bedroom where I can do whatever I do all day long and I take a shower and I go there and I check out. So what I mean by attaching certain emotional state or behavior, even with a little puppy, I would play, I would wear him out, I will make sure that I do. Then we're going to go in the crate and we're going to stay long enough when he wants to. He's like, I, I need to, I'm done. It's like, okay, I have a place. And we go. And we stay not long, not before he's like, but he puts it in the very beginning, in his foundation of training. This is my place to chill. And there is a way to accomplish that, even with a dog that has separation anxiety and later on and has very horrible association with crate and, and teach it, but I don't want to go into that. But in a, in a nutshell, this is no. Uh, oh, that makes total sense of what I do. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Fantastic. All right, Ivan. I think that that's, that's probably enough for people to listen to. Are we good with dog, dog daddy? <laughs> You're good with me. That's for sure. <laughs> I was never really mad at you, Ivan. I just felt like I I told you what I thought though, Ivan. I as someone that interviews people, I just felt like it got away from you. But that's mm. Just no, like, yeah, like if, and and I'm sure Zach George will listen to this. If he dares to come, he will have exactly the same opportunity and he will not get challenged. Um, but me on my own, I can talk and I will talk about everybody as I do. Um, I just haven't, as I said, with, with um, Augusto, I, I'm, I don't have enough. And I don't feel like I, when I'm talking, I need to be able to defend myself. Like if I talk to about Simone Mueller, for example, a predation, I can talk to you, but I feel very comfortable. What I say is what I mean. And I can really go in detail of, of debating and, and discussing it in a very correct way, you know? So, but, it, but it takes time. Like I, um, like with her, I have done her, uh, course like i have probably more ceus than than most first three people if i was to actually collect them with all the secret words and all this stuff i i honestly believe that i i mean i i know what susan friedman teaches i know what everybody does because i want to know it's not necessarily to 
to to go oh this is so wrong but i think that curiosity is important though isn't it that is kind of at the heart of what, of what we were talking about when i was saying i find it i find the tribalism frustrating because it actually hampers people's curiosity and people don't want to explore all ideas and all things of course. like yeah. if you have a, a, a if you're a member of APDT and you are attending something else, you're, you're kind of in trouble. You, there is some, uh, um, you know, you will get some of your rights cut off. If you go to Jim Donaldson school and maybe you have gone through mine or, or something, you still convinced to use electric color, there will be consequence. Like, that's not the way to go. Like you, you should be able to convince people with with knowledge, not with with restrictions. This is, um, yeah, yeah. We're gonna get we're gonna get dragged back into another hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so so much for coming on. It I was know. fun. Yeah, that's a lot of that was that was very fun. So look. I always give people this opportunity, although it feels silly because your audience is so much bigger than mine. But where can people find out about who you are? I guess. Um, yeah, so you can you can type training without conflict, which is the the title of my dog trainer school, uh, which is gets very confused. This is another conversation to be had. Why is that title? Or you can do malinois.com. I own that domain as well. That's how long I've been breeding Malinois. Uh, you can type my name. The podcast is training without conflict. Uh, even if you don't agree, there are some interesting episodes. Check them out. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on, Ivan. It was a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you could, please do leave a review. Our reviews are looking a little bit slim since the podcast has returned. So if you're on Spotify or any of the apps that allow you to leave a review, then please do. Of course, you can also help us to grow by sharing this podcast with a friend if you enjoyed it. And before we go, just a reminder, this podcast was sponsored by N2N Canine Mills. They make slap mills and they also make carpet mills. And personally, I'm a massive fan of the carpet mills right now. It's a really great way of increasing your dog's fitness, increasing their muscle tone. Fantastic for if you're preparing them for sports or if you just want to be able to give them a bit more of a workout. So you can find them at n2nk9mills.com. That's the letter N, the number two, and then the letter N again. And then K9 like the word, not the K9. So n2nk9mills.com. And if you do end up placing an order, you can use our code, which is NB10. Super. See you in the next episode. <laughs>